Hey, good, e good evening, ladies and germs, and welcome to the 75th annual Mad Scientist Convention. I am your entertainment for this evening. Did you hear Oxygen went on a date with Potassium? It went okay. <laughs> <laughs> a photon checks into a hotel and is asked if he needs any help with his luggage. He says, no, I'm traveling light. <laughs> oh, yeah. Why did Frankenstein's monster first look like the guy from the movie Lumbamba? Because when the doctor asked for a Phillips from Igor, he meant the screwdriver. <laughs> oh. Knock, knock. Oh, it's still going. I dread who is there. Mad Scientist Movies. Mad, Mad Scientist, Scientist Movies, movies who? who? Mad Scientist Movies on this episode of Attack of the Killer Podcast. Attention planet Earth and beyond. Stay tuned for Attack of the Killer It's alive! It's alive! It's alive! That's what I always say when my toaster strudels pop up. Uh, welcome to another episode of Attack of the Killer Podcast. I am your physician, Dr. Insane Mike, MD, medical deviant. Uh, this episode we are talking about uh, plastic tubes and pots and pans, bits and pieces and magic from my hands. We're making weird science. <laughs> we'll be talking about things I knew that damn song was going to make it I've never seen before <laughs> Behind Bolted Doors Talent and Imagination Not what teachers say to do Making dreams come true Weird science <laughs> So that's right Movies featuring or about Mad scientists But they're not mad They're just angry Oh I had an appointment with my with I had my I had an appointment with my, my mad scientist the other day. Oh yeah, my mad doctor. He told me I wasn't getting enough Patreon, so donate today to our Patreon. <laughs> it's doctor's orders. Go to patreon.com backslash aotkp and choose from different tiers to donate from. Different donations will get you various perks, such as bonus episodes. You get to choose or get to choose a commentary track for us to do. So donate today. It's for my health. Oh, wait. I think maybe I misunderstood him. I think he said protein. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Attack of the Killer Podcast is a member of the Phantom Podcast Network. Some might say that the Phantom Podcast Network is like Frankenstein's monster. It's made up of several different podcasts, just like body parts, that are sewn together to make up the hulking beast that is the Phantom Podcast Network. And Attack of the Killer podcast is a big chunk of that. I think we're the butt. Gotta be the butt. <laughs> <laughs> and if you haven't checked out the network before, you can do that at downrightcreepy.com backslash phantom. Now, if you already know about the network and you're stumbling upon our show for the first time, the answer to last week's question is 83. <laughs> now you're going to have to go back and listen to the last episode. Attack of the Killer podcast is a podcast where a group of friends hang out. We openly discuss horror films within a certain topic. 
and this topic happens to be about mad scientists. So there will be spoilers during our conversation. So I just, I just thought I'd let you know. Now, before we dissect this topic, <laughs> it's Hi. time to introduce you to... I've taken way too long to pause this for laughs, apparently. Uh, it's time to introduce you to the podcast crew. He doesn't need lightning to get his monster to rise. Mostly just needs a comfortable pair of sweatpants. Brian Clark, everybody. <laughs> yes, master. <laughs> Next up, he doesn't trust atoms because they make up everything. Ted Good. I don't, I don't have a one-liner, I'm sorry. <laughs> that is your one-liner, one. sir. Good job. Um... He wanted to be a traveling microbiologist when he grew up because he wanted to be a man of many cultures. <laughs> Tim L- Tim Leaner. <laughs> they laughed at me at university, but it was open mic night, so it was okay. <laughs> she likes to do it chemist style on the table, but periodically. Terry Turford. <laughs> and lastly, ever since he took the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde formula, he stopped masturbating. He said he's because he hasn't been feeling himself lately. Jason Bollinger! Oh, goodness. <laughs> What's up, party people? So, like I said before, we were talking about mad scientist movies. Um, but before we do that, you know what we should do? What? Killer News! Oh, that's me. <laughs> uh, well, we'll start things off with the sad stuff this time. Yet another Toho legend is gone. Yoshio Tsuchiya, uh, who is probably most well-known as playing the controller of Planet X in uh, Godzilla vs. Monster Zero. Uh, he was also in The Seven Samurai, Yojimbo, The Hidden Fortress, some other Kurosawa stuff. He passed away actually a little over a month ago, but the news was not made public by his family uh, until last week. So... Farewell to another great of uh, of the kaiju world. In happier news, horror seems to be on the rise with Stephen King's It making $117 million this weekend. Woo! It has the strongest September opening, the strongest fall opening, and the largest opening for an R-rated horror movie, not to mention the largest opening weekend for a horror film of any rating, period. It may Granted, it's not got a lot of competition this week. Not much else is new. Not much else is anticipated. And there aren't really a lot of big movies left in the theater to compete with it. But it, by itself, accounted for over 75% of the gross for the weekend's top 12 movies. Damn. Dang. That that is some big numbers. And, of course, that means that a bunch more Stephen King movies are going to get made. And the first one has already been greenlit. It's going to be Suffer the Little Children which is a short story from Nightmares and Dreamscapes. Uh, I've read that collection, but it's been a while. I don't remember much about what this one is about. But uh, 
sounds like there are several other King's <clears throat> projects in development now too, which I never thought his star really fell. Like, I mean, right. you know, we've had yeah. had the Mist, and it didn't make a ton of money, but it was successful enough that they gave it a TV series on a channel that nobody watches. Um, <laughs> yeah, there are and, constantly new adaptations, right, of his stuff. Netflix is releasing Gerald's game later this yeah. month too. Well, I think more than anything right. else, it's going to be a matter of that. Like, people have faith in the in his in his work again, where they're going to throw much more money at it. Right, we're going to get bigger budget ones and not just right. TV stuff. Yeah, true. Which is interesting because uh, the summer kind of kicked off by the Dark Tower shared cinematic multiverse blowing up on the launch pad. <laughs> That's right, true. true. Yeah. yeah. How quickly they forget. <clears throat> As well, long as the cash is flowing, it's okay. Yeah. <clears throat> You're, everyone wants to be the second one to do something new, so it looks like we'll be getting a lot of Stephen King. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Tom Holland has written a children's book. Whoa! What? Yeah, nice. it's called it's called How to Scare a Monster. It was co-authored with a guy named Dustin Warburton, who I've never heard of before, and hopefully is related to Patrick Warburton because he's awesome. <laughs> Uh, it's it's an illustrated children's book uh, based on a character named Leonard Charles Vincent. Mm-hmm. Fright Night, anyone? Nice. Who can't sleep. There's a monster in his closet. So Leonard goes on a fun little journey and uh, confronts the monster in his closet and becomes friends with it. And presumably laughs and hijinks are had all around. So yeah, it's available now on Amazon. So if you want to get your kids a... a book to kind of get them into horror and show them something that isn't too scary and get, maybe give them a little Halloween present. Get uh, How to Scare a Monster. Cool. Yeah. And finally, Fabio Frizzi, who Mike will know and I probably mispronounced his last name, but he scored a whole bunch of Lucio Fulci movies like The Beyond and Zombie, mm. has done the score to a record put out by a label that I'm a big fan of, uh, Cadabra Records. They're a uh, odd little boutique record label that does audio book versions of classic short horror stories now generally they focus on H.P. Lovecraft and Clark Ashton Smith they've done some other stuff not too long ago they did a full cast adaptation of Dracula starring Tony Todd as Dracula that was pretty cool Oh wow! Uh, but but this is a reading of H.P. Lovecraft's The Picture in the House and uh, it's got a score by one of the great Italian horror movie composers so uh, yeah everyone should check that out i've got a bunch i don't have this one yet but i've got a bunch of cadabras releases and they do really good work awesome art for the jackets you know really cool albums and yeah go buy some cadabra records cool cool and that's what i got awesome thank you very much anybody have any other news they want to add well speaking of writings our own Brian Clark had a little something-something. Ooh, oh, yeah. pimp. I, I was actually totally going to whore that out, and I forgot, so thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Happy to whore I'm, you out. Apparently I'm a bad, shameless plugger. Yes, I have a uh, short story out in a new anthology. The anthology is Fearful Fathoms, Volume 1. The story is Draugar. It's a, sort of a Robert E. Howard pastiche about a group of Vikings meeting up uh, with a an ancient water elemental. There's a character in it that may or may not be based on her very own Tim Lenner. <laughs> and I, I may or may not have been thanked somewhat for helping with a story problem. And uh, 
so the book is out now, uh, print and Kindle versions on Amazon. And Woo! just last week, we made uh, number one on Amazon's best-selling new horror anthologies chart, which, granted, is not yeah. exactly a huge, you know, it, it ain't the New York Times it's list. It's huge. But technically, that means I can say I'm a best-selling author. So there you go. That's Fantastic. Awesome. Yeah. Well, one twenty-eighth of a best-selling author. Yes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> He'll take it. Hey, I would. Hell yeah. He's gotten two things published. That's two more than me. That's right. True. Awesome, man. That's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. You bet. All right, so let's get into the topic at hand here. Mad scientists. Um, man, where do we even... Where, Terry, where should we start? Where should we start with all this? Are you asking me to pick a movie? <laughs> Yeah, I was trying to be okay. a little more creative than <laughs> trying usually to use the words trying to pick do something. Movie. Besides, How just hey, you go first. We start with the brain that wouldn't die. Nice, sweet. Because it's awesome. Sweet. I'm uh, really excited that you like this one. Good. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. It's the first time I'd seen it. Watching it for this episode. Um, I guess the basic synopsis is that you know mad scientist and his fiance get into a car crash which was ridiculous, ridiculous. and hilarious <laughs> <laughs> but and i guess she gets decapitated because he just takes her head and runs for it runs runs to the house in the hills or wherever they are and barely gets there Right. And he <laughs> eventually gets there. He has to <laughs> yeah. stop on his steps and catch his breath one more time. Which, okay, the crash, like, you see her hand, like, she's holding up her hand and it, like, fades away. And then all of a sudden she's decapitated? Like, that confused me. Anyway. He plugs in her head, her detached head, to some squiggly wires and <laughs> things. and Science stuff. He oh he uses his, his his new compound is what it is what does the trick and he um, brings her back and little does he know that his compound is making her brain juices flow even more and so she has like mind powers and then there's some weird amalgamation of a Frankenstein's monster in locked in the cupboard and they become friends and murder people is it's the nice when friends share interests <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah no and I, and she like as soon as he plugs her in she's like you should have let me die and i don't know oh, yeah. it was just it was fun it was it was definitely and it's all black and white it's from 62 seems yeah. like it 1962, yeah. Should be older than that for some reason. But I think it was shot in 57, I think. <clears throat> okay. so. yeah, yeah, 57 or 59. And then for some reason, the you know, audiences weren't clamoring for Jan in the Pan. 
<laughs> it, it seems like it should be older than it is, I think, because of how violent it is, which is even more surprising knowing that it was shot in the late 50s even rather than the early 60s because, I mean, the dude yeah. full-on gets his arm torn off yeah, and then yeah. stumbles through the house wiping his blood all over the wall. It's bl- it, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a do. bloody mess, yeah. Yes. <laughs> And then the doctor at the end, you know, the Frankenstein monster rips his throat out with its teeth. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that, that's pretty gruesome for for a 1950s drive-in movie. Yeah. Never underestimate the power of the proto-grindhouse. Mm. <laughs> and and, and this one was... really enjoyed that. This one was hugely influential because there's multiple movies on today's list that have the yep. talking severed head. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, the super juice. Yeah. Well, there's one Especially. movie on this list in particular that was it wasn't a mistake that I put it on the same list as Brain It Wouldn't Die. We can get to that later though. Yeah. yeah I, oh, <laughs> go ahead, Brian. Also, also a great mystery science theater episode. Oh yeah, I was going to chuck in there. I need to, I still yeah. need to see that one. I haven't seen that one, but yeah, I've always been a big fan of this movie. Um it it's definitely a lot a lot uh darker and and visceral than you would expect from the time period. And that's what's <laughs> that's what's so crazy about it. Um but it's it's definitely a lot of fun. I love the look of the monster in the closet, and I like everything that building up to that. And now they just the, there's the there's the suspense to the whole movie of what's behind that door. I wasn't even sure they were going to show it. <laughs> yeah, it came being... down to like literally the last ten yeah. minutes of the movie. <clears throat> oh, and um, well, they had all that grime and weirdness in Camera Club to show. I mean, you, you can't have the monster in at that point when you've got a bunch of dweebs with cameras that might not even have film taking pictures of a model. <laughs> I love the line, like when he, after he gets her uh, her plugged in, and he goes, "I didn't even say anything about that," but he goes to find a body to reattach the head to. That's a big part of the plot, I guess. Um, but I love he says this line. He's like the assistant's asking him, um, "How much time do we have while while she's still her head's still good to use?" And he's like, "48 hours." 50 max. I'm like, how do you know that's like a really <laughs> small time? Like, seems very specific. But well, if you know how to keep a head alive and you have that technology, I mean, who are we to question? You know, I guess, uh, yeah. If you can suspend your belief for the fact that it, the head was cl- uh, cleanly, I mean, perfectly clean cut off with no scratches on her face at all. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. Right at the neck, perfectly. You Makeup know, so, still perfect. Yeah, yeah, he could carry it home without getting any blood anywhere. It was impressive. <laughs> hey, he's a doctor. He is. I mean, he could have. She could have been like severely injured to the point where he's like, "Well, I might as well get her a new body. I'll cut it off at the scene." You know. It, I mean, we don't we don't actually see that she was decapitated. Maybe he did it. You know. Yeah, that's that's true. Um. The only thing that bothered me at all about this movie was the repetition of that damn burlesque music. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah I, I, I like that, that that music from that time period in a lot of movies, you know, especially a lot of low-budget movies and stuff. And, like, you know, um, I also like a lot of beatnik jazz from that era and whatnot. But this did get rather repetitive and monotonous. There was, so. Yeah, a lot. 
It was yeah, a I very always... short tune that <clears throat> just kept going over and over. I always loved in the 50s when kids were, you know, at the malt shop listening to rock and or roll. And it's always this semi-frenetic jazz with no lyrics. <laughs> like, yeah. honestly, rock in 57 didn't have a clarinet part, guys. It didn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the cat fight when he goes to, to audition strippers oh, for man. the body before he goes to see the model. And those two women who are clearly prostitutes start <laughs> fighting over who's going to get to take him home as a John. And the names they call each other are just like, that's the best they could come up with. Like they weren't trying very hard. Like I think one of them calls the other a cheap stripper. And so it's like, you're already prostitutes. <laughs> so how is calling her a stripper going to hurt her feelings? I know a stripper <laughs> is a step up, isn't it? I would think. <laughs> Does anybody have the Shout Factory version? Just I was curious on how well it got cleaned up because I watched it on YouTube and it was yeah I watched it on YouTube. It wasn't bad, but but like yeah, well, and Snaps did a Blu-ray of it too. I really want to get one of the, I, I've got I do have this on DVD, but it's one of those like six movies on one kind of pack. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean it's it's and it's still a decent looking copy considering that it's like that and it's. This movie's public domain, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think that's why I've seen it on enough, you know, $5 DVDs that it should be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, I've always I've always wanted to see like, you know, somebody like Shout Factory or um uh Snaps would do a a really nice restoration of it. But I always heard that there is a version of this movie out there that contains nudity. Anybody know any more about that? Uh, somewhere on YouTube, I think there's. I, I can't remember if it's during the cat, the eternal cat fight, or if it's during the camera club sequence. But yeah, there's there's boobs a popping. Again, the shot. Probably that cat fight. They were about falling yeah. out from what I watched. <laughs> Yeah, and all that would really mean is they just, you know, if if the scene ran another 20 seconds, someone could have, you know, the the toupee tape could have failed and they wound up falling out of the outfit. Yeah, yeah. And then you just, you know, you have the 20-second longer version with nudity and and then the 20-second shorter version that you could release in 1962. Yeah, exactly. Well, and that's what I was getting at. Again, it's like it contained a lot of taboos already for its time period and then the the fact that they shot stuff with nudity without i guess giving it a second thought um almost puts it in like to the grindhouse or the uh nudie cutie films of that era in a in a way but i mean i don't know what kind of distri- distribution this movie had back back then but uh I know the first time I saw it, um, AMC was actually airing it as part of their Monster Fest. It's probably been like 10 years now. Nice. But uh, it was one of the ones they were showing in the middle of the night, and it was like 4 a.m. or something. And uh, then I ended up finding it. I think AMC Monster Fest did like DVD collections with multiple movies per disc, and it was on there. Uh, and we showed it at the Capitol Theater a few years ago, too, as part of like our Halloween marathon. Nice. Very cool. So, yeah, That's seeing awesome. it on the big screen sort of cool. We didn't really, you know, it, it's not a uh, 
one of the big name movies, but like you said, it's public domain and it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, mm-hmm. I was actually, like you guys were saying, pretty pretty taken <clears throat> back when I first saw it. So it's something I think, even though it's public domain, and you said there've been a couple of. Uh, restored versions of it which i have it on dvd through the mystery science theater version so and it's not one i feel like i need to see like a crisped up print of (laughs) like it works just fine looking like shit um but but it's so influential that it totally makes sense that people would want to put out a, a kind of special version of it because even though like you said tad it's not a particularly big name movie in the more the wider more mainstream cult crowd you know, people like us are going to see this one and recognize, like, oh, this, you know, this is for a lot of it. This, this is the uh, the Black Sabbath of head in a pan movies. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Tim and I had the pleasure of seeing this at B Fest, and boy, it plays good in that crowd. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, the the film actually broke right before the the big finish. Oh. Uh, so I asked my friend Dennis, you know. Hey, do you want to go up on stage and strangle me? And he said, "Do I?" So we ran up and reenacted the uh, the last minute. And nice. uh, one woman from the audience ran up and ducked behind somebody's cooler that was on stage, so her head was just popping up and yelled, "I hate men!" <laughs> oh, brilliant! That's amazing. Oh, we this is why you that guys. This is why you guys need to come to B-Fest. <laughs> I totally yes. want to. Uh, if, if any of you can make it to B-Fest, uh, it is an absolute, absolute blast. Uh, live garage band open mic MST3K for a solid day. Oh, oh that sounds like the greatest day ever. Well, I've done it 17 times. It is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... I guess there. Um, at one point, they did a stage musical of this movie. Did you guys know that? Oh wow! Yeah, I want to see that. Trying to catch that uh, little shop of horrors thunder. I think so. I I don't remember uh, what year they did the stage the stage play. It, um, yeah, but I think yeah, I think you're right. Trying to catch trying to catch some of that uh, success, but. Well, see, and when I was pulling it up on IMDb, I noticed that there's one pegged for 2018, and I don't know if it's like a version of that play, maybe, or if it's just a, a remake. It's listed as comedy, horror, sci-fi, so I don't know. Could be, I don't know, could be kind of maybe a blend of both, because... Could be, yeah. If it doesn't say musical, I mean, because... It, it doesn't. The, the, stage, no. the stage play is also a musical, so... Says it's in post production. Wow, they got actors and cast people and a director and everything. I had no idea this thing even existed. Yeah. The only 2018 horror movie I knew about was Samuel L. Jackson's going to be in The Blob. What? Was that actually happening? Yeah. yeah. Finally. Well, at least it was, they've got it was a only on Killer News a couple of months ago, guys. Jeez. Well, I know, but like I know they've been talking about a new Blob movie for at least a decade. So yeah, well, and they're hitting it in the right years, so we've got fifty-eight, eighty-eight, and twenty-eighteen. Oh, oh, perfect. Yeah, I never yeah. thought about that. Me neither. Me neither. Awesome. Well, it's not the math podcast. <laughs> <laughs> He's right. I, nope, Especially I wouldn't be on it if it was. Yeah, me either. <laughs> Well, that would make a good uh, good double feature. Not the blob. Now I'm going back to the uh, brain that wouldn't die 
a relaunch with Manos, the hands of felt, which I would dearly love to see. (laughs) (laughs) What is that? Is that like a satirical remake? Satirical stage. I want to say there's some music in it, but I'm not 100% sure. Like a stage play version of Manos, but with like felt, like Sesame Street style felt puppets. Oh my god. That's fucking awesome. (laughs) And there's some stuff about it on the. Uh, Manos, The Hands of Fate Blu-ray that Synapse did, which I do have, but I haven't watched any of the extras yet. So, I mean, it's not the full production. It's just like a little teaser for it. But I know there were some plans to film that play and put it out at some point. But I have That's to look into amazing. That. Everything is better with puppets. <laughs> I totally want to see that. I want to see that, and I want to see the, the Reanimator musical. I, I hope the Torgo puppet takes like a literal three minutes to get across the stage <laughs> while he plays his theme. Just the slowest puppeteering anybody has ever seen. <laughs> that That's also one of the greatest gags ever from Mystery Science Theater when it was Torgo's pizza delivery. Yes. <laughs> what was it, like three episodes <laughs> later he came back? <laughs> I was like, oh, it, it's been over an hour, but the pizza's still warm. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jason, what'd you think of Brina wouldn't die? I didn't really said much. I too liked it. Okay. And all the things she said. I thought it... Yeah, I was way better than I anticipated. And I liked it's... I mean, with her saying let me die, made it gave this serious tone to it that was... Also, I don't know, it rooted it nicely for me. I don't know. But it was good. It was good having watched it after seeing all, you know, after knowing all of its influences. It's like, oh. Yeah. I see a lot of similarities here. Uh huh. That's where that came from. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. I, I also liked that it was, you know, mad science in progress. Like, he hadn't quite figured out how to fix his assistant's arm. And he hadn't quite figured, like all the different severed limbs he'd been treating to try and figure out how to reattach them, he'd sort of assembled into a flesh heap. But like, you know, he's decided like, oh, well, hey, free severed head. I guess we're we're stepping up to phase five. (laughs) (laughs) Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. So Brandon Although wouldn't if die. we're done talking about it, we have to call it the head that wouldn't die. It's true. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> I noticed that in, in the credits that it said the head that wouldn't die. Yeah. Was that the original title? It might have been. I think they just didn't care. Okay. Like the film lab thought, oh, fuck it. Type, type, type. Head that wouldn't die. Done. <laughs> what was the name of this shitty thing we did? This weird ass film? The yeah, okay. Something wouldn't die. I don't know. Wuthering Heights. No, <laughs> head that wouldn't die. Attack of Attack of the the Eye Creatures. Oh yeah. Uh Rat Fink a boo boo. Yeah, there you go, Rat Fink a boo boo. Yeah. <clears throat> cool. Alright, so what's next? I'll segue it. Look at the poster of the brain I wouldn't die. That wouldn't die. Yeah, that that one on IMDb? Yeah. Yeah, what about it? There's a jar in the background. 
I don't remember seeing that jar in this movie. I know, me either. But I saw it in another movie. First fucking shot of another movie. <laughs> what movie was that, Jason? I don't remember. Blackula. Uh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're. Okay. <laughs> yes, Frankenhooker. <laughs> which, that's the movie I was talking about earlier where. Um, it was, it was very totally conscious. intentional. I put both of the both these movies on the same list because Frankenhooker, directed by Frank Henenlotter, um, and I don't think it's any big secret that he's a fan of Brain It Wouldn't Die. But when you watch Frankenhooker, I swear it's subconsciously a remake of the Brain It Wouldn't Die. It kind of is because it's like a continuation, yeah. like what happened after. <laughs> Well, there's obviously a lot of similarities, and this also this movie comes out in the time period where of like the stuff that Frank Henlotter really likes, um, you know, the films that really influence him, and obviously, Brain It Wouldn't Die is a big influence on him. If you watch um, Basket Case Two and Three, because one of the one of the other mutants in Basket Case Two and Three is identical to the creature in the closet in the Brain It Wouldn't Die. Like the design oh, of that wow. design of that monster is is identical. So, so and then when you watch Frankenhooker, you know it's kind of the same thing. He's you know um, he's saved the head of um, well in this case it's his fiance, not his wife, but uh, saves the head of his fiance. They don't get in a car accident this time. It's a lawnmower accident that kills his that kills his fiance, and. Um, and then so he's trying to figure out how to bring her back to life, but he does. He's been doing all these like surgery experiments on weird things and whatnot, and so he decides he's going to build her a new body. But and just like in Brain, it wouldn't die. Um, he goes to find body parts from hookers, so <laughs> and throws one hell of a party. Yeah, it's super crack. I love the part where he's testing the super crack and he blows the hamster apart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's important. Co- it's the scientific method there. I mean, he's like, okay, yeah. does this really work? Poop. Yep. Yes, it does. <laughs> scientific progress goes poop. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, in the commentary for Frankenhooker, Hannon Lauder flat out says that it was his sort of remake of the brain that wouldn't die and he references that brain creature like it's 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 not an accident that you notice that yeah, <laughs> That's yeah. absolutely what he was going for and that is a fun ass commentary by the way oh i need it's, to listen uh, to it is that on the blu-ray oh, or yeah it's on the blu-ray it's okay. him and gabe bartalos oh and yeah they've just got the best stories <laughs> and frank is just so animated and fun to listen to gabe barely gets a word in edgewise but oh, i imagine have a good time yeah. And I know a couple stories from this movie. One being how this movie came about, that he went into, um, oh shoot, who's the production house? Who produced this Uh, movie? uh, Jim Glickenhaus. Glickenhaus. So he goes and he goes to pitch to pitch a movie. He pitches this movie. Um, I forget the name of it now. In, Insect City. Insect City, which sounded fucking awesome, by the way. Um, and obviously, there was no way they were going to be able to make that movie. Um, and I think he was—he he got the meeting because they were interested in making Basket Case Two. So it was a deal where they made Basket Case Two, and um, but he passed on the other script and said, "What else do you got?" 
and Frank Hennelard just basically on the spot improved a pitch for Frankenhooker. <laughs> so that's where I think it's like subconsciously a remake of Brain That Wouldn't Die because it was probably a movie that's like very clear in Hen and Lauder's brain. Um, and not only that, but then once he left, he was because it was co-written. I forget the name of his writing partner, but he was there with him in this pitch meeting. And as soon as they left Glickenhaus's office, he started like he broke out in a cold sweat and looked at his writing partner and he said, do you remember anything of what I just said? Because that was all pulled out of my ass and I don't remember a single fucking word, but we have to make that movie. So I hope you were listening. Yep. Yep. And what's awesome. What's interesting is that Frankenhooker and basket case two were literally made back to back. Like they, they wrapped on one and just turned right around and started production on the other. That's why you'll see a lot of a lot of familiar faces in both movies. So, mm. yeah, and a lot of a lot of the same scenery. And thinking of faces that are familiar just from that movie, and if you've seen Street Trash, James Lorenz, oh what God. a fucking talent! And he never did anything else. He did that, and he had a bit part in Street Trash. And yeah. to my knowledge, those are the only two things he's ever been in. But he was amazing in Frankenhooker. I fucking love him. I just said that to yeah. Jason last night when we were rewatching this. Like, what happened he's to him? In Bad Dreams, right? Is that what the other thing? No, you're thinking oh, of the other, um, the other movie we watched last night. We watched a lot. Um, he's still working. It looks like he's oh, yeah. been just like the last couple of years has been kind of coming back and doing some smaller parts so oh that's awesome i have to look some of that stuff up then some tv stuff it looks like because i mean he should have been like the next jeffrey uh, combs he's in bridge of spies seriously yeah i mean it's an extra part it says gentleman on subway number two but my god from frankenhooker to bridge of spies (laughs) yeah yeah the tom hanks one about trying to get francis gary powers out of a gulag he actually was quite busy in 1990. It looks like no. It looks like he's kind of stayed. It's just weird that I'm just the right, are really really small parts, so eh, that he's not quite so obvious or what? Maybe. I mean, some of it. Yeah, some of it is for sure. Like he's in RoboCop three as Upset Driver. <laughs> oh. oh yeah, Upset Driver. That guy was awesome. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Um, so upset. There was some TV show in 1990 called City that he was a re- recurring character in, in like 13 episodes. But but I'm with you, Brian. It's just weird that like I mean this guy obviously is has a career and is is still acting. But I only know him from the exact same two movies you do, and I freaking love this guy. He's got such a unique screen presence, and I really latch on to to actors that are just way outside the norm of what you expect from from an actor and um but like i mean he's he's really funny he's got great comedic timing but he's kind of dry at the same time and that 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 new york accent of his with that kind of nasally speech of his and then um i i think i mean i think he should do a lot more leads in films you know yeah yeah for sure like, can you imagine a movie with him, Jeff Combs, and uh, Michael Moriarty? Like, oh just, my God. like, dueling lunatics? The muttering. <laughs> the muttering. That's what it's called. You guys are right The muttering, right yeah. 
Okay, I'll pitch it. You guys write something down because I'm just going to freeform this. (laughs) (laughs) And I also feel the same way, though, about um, Frankenhooker herself. Uh, Mm -hmm. She's awesome. Yeah, Mullen. Patty Mullen. Mullen. There you go. She is amazing in this movie because I I also really latch on to like physical performances from, from actors. And she's got some amazing phys- physicality in uh, when she, when she's Franken Hooker, the monster. Um, but she definitely didn't have a career after Franken Hooker. Uh, are you sure you're, her amazing physicality? You weren't thinking of her appearance in Penthouse. <laughs> well, just, not uh, unless she was making the same goofy faces in Penthouse. <laughs> that's it. I love. Awesome. That's what I'm talking yeah. about, though. I love the goofy faces. I love the thing she does with her lips, where they both. They they like twitch in opposite yeah. directions, you know. I love the her walk in the movie, and it stays consistent. and And I think she, I think she's hilarious, and and I think she really sells this like Frankenstein esque type of of female hooker monster creature. <laughs> oh yeah, watching her like look intently at people and ask a question over and over again. She had like the physicality of a puppy. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good. That's a good one. Mike loves her. Well, she's hot too, and I have a thing for purple nipples, I guess. But you always <laughs> did. You always did. Apparently, they were actually going to have her have uh, a purple area and yes. purple <laughs> pubic hair, and uh, they actually she refused to do it. The really, really tall blonde hooker, I almost said stripper, and going back to Brain That Wouldn't Die, the really, really tall blonde hooker wound up uh, playing stunt vagina, and they she allowed them to dye it purple, and then they shot it, and it was just too... It was too explicit to be funny. Like, mm. I guess Frank thought it was like, oh, this will be hilarious, the, you know, the nipples will match the carpet, I guess, or whatever. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> and then the more they shot it, and he was just watching it in the dailies, going like, "If I don't think this is funny, nobody else is going to think this is funny." So we have to cut it out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, interesting. So I the movie know. got a pubic trim. Oh. Uh, uh. <laughs> Tad, have you did you get a, have you seen this movie? Yes. Um, it, was, it was sort of funny. I was watching it the other night, and uh, my wife sort of came in the room right towards the scene, the scene where the, um, the pimp is in the room and, uh, all the body parts come out of the cooler and they're, you know, um, uh, sort of morphed into each other. And she's like, what are you watching? And it's like, Oh, just sort of uh, big muscular Freddie Mercury making out with this, uh, like <laughs> weird, weird creature that came out of the, uh, cooler. I don't know. Uh, it was like perfect timing for her to walk in, but I, I, I think the, uh, it, it's it's a whole lot of fun. It's awesome. It sort of rides right on the line of being um, like I don't know explicit, but but it has some. It's it knows it's ridiculous, so it rides right on the line. It doesn't go overboard. Where I mean, there's there's the idea of it is absolutely crazy. He's <laughs> he's he's blowing up prostitutes by giving them drugs, and uh, I mean, drills into his own brain. 
Right. That's yeah, one of my favorite just, moments is when he's drilling in his own head. Yeah. It's just yeah, just so absurd. But you can't, you know, it's but it's it's just so funny the whole time. You can't uh, turn away. I don't know. And that's what's great about Hennenlauter. I mean, that's that's his whole sensibility. You know, um, I um, growing up, I had kind of a love hate relationship with Hennenlauter movies. I I think every time I saw a new Hennenlauter movie for the first time, I didn't like it, and then. Um, and then liked it after after repeat viewing. Nowadays, he's like one of my favorite filmmakers. Period. I love all of his movies, um, but my issues with Frankenhooker and, and, and you know, and this was like when this came out. I think I may have been like a junior or senior in high school at the height of my um, you know love for special effects and movies. So I see Frankenhooker and, and like. With when the women are blowing up, or um, um, Patty's severed head and like the severed body parts, they just looked extremely fake to me, and I and it annoyed me. But I definitely, you know, grew past that and appreciated that uh, <clears throat> um, uh, the humor of the movie, and realized that that's part of the humor of the movie. And when you um, listen to Hen and Lauder, it probably talked about it in the commentary too. I would assume that oh yeah, he he wanted the effects to look as fake as hell. I don't understand that. Please explain to me. Because it's funny. Yeah, I don't understand that. A... Please explain to me. <laughs> it's not supposed to be like a total gross out, you know, basket case, slimy, slimy Jesus, I can't talk, sleazy, slimy thing, like. No, it's, it's a perfectly wholesome comedy about a guy who blows up prostitutes with drugs well, to rebuild that, his fiance's body. Right, but when they explode like fireworks and road flares <laughs> and smoke bombs instead of blood and guts, then it's Oh, fun. yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I, I mean, was if, saying. If you're, it like, rides right on the line. It, it, uh, like you said, if it was actual like realistic gore and blood, can you imagine how over the, this movie would be not funny at all? It would be terrifying. If he actually was murdering prostitutes, I mean... It makes it. It's almost like a, a old like Roadrunner cartoon or something. Totally. Yeah, yeah. You even Much get more. some of those like cartoony sound effects in there too. Like when when the hooker severed head flies through the air and hits the pimp in the head, <laughs> it goes. And it's got a little cartoon dunk noise in there. I guess Gabe Bartellos wanted to put something other than fireworks in the mannequins. He wanted to, like, can we put some milk or just some, you know, some kind of liquid? And Frank's like, no, I do, like, nothing like that at all. I don't want any suggestion that there's any sort of bodily fluid or anything coming out of these women because I don't want these explosions to be gross. I just want them to be goofy. And that's it. That's the thing. This movie is littered with, like, body parts and, and people exploding. But I don't think there's a drop of blood in the movie. There's a little splash on the garden gnome during the, oh, that's uh, right. the lawnmower accident. But yeah. again, that's they're not showing, you know, 140 pounds of shredded meat flying everywhere. They're they're just doing a splash of blood and you know what happened. Exactly. And I also got to say huge kudos to Gabe Bartelos, who I totally respect as an effects artist. I mean, he's done some amazing work over the years and has worked on way more films than I even realized at the time. Um, but I give him huge props for this film in particular because, you know, you hear like how actors, actors and actresses, especially, you know, the more famous they are, the less willing they're, they, 
willing they are to take parts where it makes them look bad. Um, think about an effects artist. You know, his his paycheck is based on making really good-looking, convincing special effects, and that's how he's going to get hired. But to but to put his faith into what Hannon Lauder's vision was to have these effects look so shitty. Um, you know, that's that takes a lot of guts on Gabe's part, and kudos to him. But he gets to make up for it in the freaking um, Frankenhooker design, because that makeup on her is incredible. It's pretty awesome. Oh, yeah. You know, you could... No, I, I, it, it literally does look like different body parts sewn together. Like her arm, where it's like an African-American forearm, but a, but a white, um, um, like, other part of the arm to the shoulder... And where it's where the seam is at on the elbow, it almost it kind of almost looks like that the limbs don't match up properly. Even that's that's how awesome the makeup is. And uh, there's also something in the screenplay, you know, to keep that tone of goofiness in it, uh, where you know the. Jeffrey's trying to tell the uh, the prostitutes don't smoke the crack and they don't listen to him. Like he's decided he's not going to go through with it and that he can't doom all these people just to do this one project and then they do it anyway. Like I'm willing to root for somebody who's willing to uh, to make the best of a really awful situation much more than I, I would root for you know basically a spree killer. Yeah. Yeah. Did we? Did Jason sure. clear up your question on the effects? Oh, I, I just wanted to hear you rant oh, about okay. it. All right. Trying to put me on the spot. Yeah. Gotcha. They're not going to call it a supernatural thriller, are they? Better not. Better fucking not. No, I didn't really have a problem with the the effects. I just it's just a weird thing to say, and do. Yeah. It's a yeah. strange choice. And not a lot, not a, I, you know, I can't think of a lot of other films that, that take the, that takes that chance, you know. Unintentionally having bad facts. The only thing that does bother me about this movie is the thing you know that I that bothers me with all movies is the n- people's names being references. <laughs> oh. I just I just it's just not f- funny or cute to me and never is. Well, so um the lead, his name is Jeffrey Franken. Franken. And um, the Frankenhooker, her character name is Elizabeth Shelley. Yeah. It's homage. It's not. Uh, the budget was under a million. It's a ripoff. <laughs> That's right. But I mean, and at least hey, it wasn't. That... Hmm? Oh, go ahead. I was just going to at least it wasn't like Frank Stein. <laughs> you know, like naming him Franken, just make like with that New York accent, like that. You know, I mean, yes, it's clearly it's Frankenstein, but that that's a little more clever than you usually get about it. See, and again, drawing parallels back to the brain that wouldn't die, or even if you want to say parallels to Frankenstein, uh, what I like about it is that this is like um, Jeffrey is kind of the workers' class Frankenstein. Dr. Frankenstein. He's like really smart. He's really good at this, you know, at medical stuff, you know, science stuff. You know, he's obviously smart enough to get into medical school, but got kicked out of four of them. 
but he just works for the electric company. And if you and if you're watching him do his experiment work, you know, and doing, you know, he's use he's not using like medical instruments. He's using power drills and um and um welders and and all that kind of stuff uh, instead of like or or when you sh- shaving the bunions off the off the severed foot. <laughs> um but uh you know, so there's there's more of a of a low class where like the doctor and the brain it wouldn't die is this like rich and famous surgeon or you know, Doctor Frankenstein's got this like big elegant castle. So Jeffrey Franken literally working out of his garage. Is literally working out of his garage, right. So his name is a play on Frankenstein, but more of like again, a New York work or New Jersey in this case, workers um everyday man version. And that's where I think it's okay. Oh, and speaking of the garage, in the screenplay it was specifically written that the interior should be four times as big as the thing they were using for exterior shots. <laughs> it's true. It was, wasn't it? <laughs> It was almost like a shed on the exterior, but like yeah, and then you know a five car garage on the inside <laughs> with a generator with a giant turboprop fan generator, almost like a TARDIS, wouldn't you say, Jason? I don't depends. I don't know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> Does this mean we're gonna get? Well, there is a regeneration at the end into a woman. Obviously, this was a secret coded message in Frankenhooker about uh, where the Doctor Who franchise would be going a quarter century later. <laughs> Nice. Nice, I'll allow it. <laughs> oh, man. Messing with Brian. No, it's more messing with Jason, because he doesn't like Doctor Who, so I never pass up an opportunity to tie something that we're talking about into it and bug him. Let me write that down. <laughs> I don't. It's not that I don't like it, I've just never seen an episode. That's all. Never watched it. Uh, it's also more it's of like a, now to start. a confusion of the hugeness of it right yeah sure yeah. well there's like 40 years to catch up on yeah. uh, over 50 actually i'm just gonna skip it probably <laughs> well it wasn't made for a decade so well yeah yeah well it was if you caught the See? novels and the audio plays and the kind i'm sorry if it's not right that's all things i don't care about canon <laughs> uh, a lot of the novels came from bbc books cool Anyway, <laughs> so and, and the other okay. reason why Jason doesn't like it because it always devolves, it devolves into things that <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, what? Oh, um, everybody, anybody remember the uh, VHS box back in the day? Oh yeah, Frank that you pushed it and it said "Want a date?" Yep, I have one of those. That's awesome. Our video store had still- one. Yeah. Yeah, the the one a date button doesn't work anymore. It lasted a really long time though. It seemed like just maybe over the past ten years it stopped working. So that's not bad. No, I, yeah, that's totally. a heck of a gimmick. Yeah, it's probably as far as those those gimmicky VHS boxes from back in the day. It's got to be hands down my favorite. Well, it'd have to be either that or the Dead Pit, right? The Dead Pit one's pretty cool. Yeah, the light up eyes and the um, yeah. the poofy cover. Uh, you got the the microwave massacre box. Um, God, I can't what, what did that one do? Did it just make like a little timer ding noise? 
Yeah, it kind of like sounded like it made a little like microwave noise. Yeah, and I think it had kind of a three D ish kind of cover to it too. I, th- I believe. Yeah, it was it was an embossed cover that. Yeah, yeah, had, yeah. It was like a textured raised thing. <clears throat> cool. Yay, Frankenhooker. What's next? How about the movie that I thought you were talking about when you brought up the the you put it on the list along with Brain That Wouldn't Die <laughs> for a reason? Reanimator. Absolutely. Which I actually think bears a great deal more resemblance to the Brain That Wouldn't Die than Frankenhooker does. It might, yeah. I mean, down to Jane or. Uh, David Gale, almost said James Gale, James Whale, Frankenstein. See where that went in my head. <laughs> David Gale's performance as Dr. Hill, where he talks like this, just yeah, like Jan just like the Panda did. Well, he's got no lungs. I mean, he's not going to be able to have the full force of a breath. Right. Or, or, well, he has lungs, but they're five feet away. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I... I don't know that it even needs a, a synopsis. I mean, I cannot imagine anyone listening to this who has not seen Reanimator. And if you are, the hell are you doing? <laughs> go, go watch Reanimator right now. Yeah, just hit pause and go go watch it. There's a not so great but okay version on YouTube for now. They could watch it there. Is there really? Is it still on Netflix? Yeah. It was on Netflix for quite some time. No, I don't think it is. Oh, too bad. Well, I'm shocked that there's an available version on YouTube. That's crazy. Well, it probably won't be there for long. Yeah. Not, no. not long after this goes live, if, if <laughs> any of the uh, IP lawyers for the studio or the releasing companies are listening. And if I were them, I would. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good podcast. <laughs> well, thank you. Just as good as the Fiasco Brothers. Watch a movie. <laughs> <laughs> Never heard of that. That's <laughs> I one. know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was promised around. one shameless plug, and I think I just used it. <laughs> uh, I'll let I'll let you pitch it at the end of the show after everybody's oh, done listening. You. Yeah, you can stake a claim to it, and not just okay. sneak it in there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I don't so, know. Yeah, I, mean, I like skulking when we're talking about Reanimator. <laughs> so you've got David Gale's performance. You got his heads in a pan through most of the movie, kept alive by a mysterious serum. You know, there's another uh, similarity. You've got the the re, they're not really zombies, I guess, but his uh, reanimated test subjects are similar to the creature in the closet and brain that wouldn't die. Not not in that they're put together parts. Although they'll they get to that in both of the sequels. Yeah, quite a bit, but you know, similar in the fact that they're experiments that are uncontrollable to him and that hate him. Uh, you've got the fact that Doctor Hill, once he's performed his laser lobotomy, can mind control them, much like Jan in the Pan does with the creature in the closet at the end. Yeah, Truth. yeah, yeah. Now, if there was only a scene, the brain wouldn't die where the severed head goes down on a naked woman. If only. So, joining us now is our good buddy, Matt Foy. What's up, Matt? 
Hey, Al, thanks for thanks for working me in. You bet, you Hi, bet. Man. We're currently discussing Reanimator. Your thoughts? Uh, well, uh, uh, like everybody, I'm I, I I'm gonna presume I'm a huge fan. Uh, this one was one of the first. Like I grew up on slashers, so I didn't realize movies this this because you know in this in a slasher the gore tends to be isolated to just a few key scenes. So I'd never I this was one of the first movies that is almost like consistently gooey uh, as far as as far as gore and, and dismemberment. So this was a big moment for me, and obviously I love the um, you know I think it's it's got some great humor, um, and I think. Uh, it just—it's a—that's a really cool distillation of the entire mad scientist trope, as I understand it. Absolutely. Yeah, it does have a lot of great comedy in it, and I know there's cat lovers on this show, but oh my god, that scene in the basement cracks me up where they're fighting with the cat. Yep. And then he throws it against the wall. <laughs> now, it's not a real well, cat, so it's, it's okay to laugh. Now. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just I love that they're they're still doing actual science even with the you know vastly angry undead cat where he 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 you know picks it up and drops it and goes like all right will you agree it's dead now and I and this can't be a hoax and then you know three animates it again yeah and one of the great lines in the movie don't expect it to tango it has a broken back (laughs) (laughs) I tripped over like a techno remix dance track that used don't expect it to tango it's got a broken back as a repeated sample a while back and I wish I'd saved it nice (laughs) is it as bad as the uh, reanimate your feet (laughs) what do you mean bad that song's awesome (laughs) I mean is it is it as awesome okay is it as great as reanimate your feet well, I remember it being totally boss, but I also only heard it once several years ago, so I'm going to say it's the best thing anyone's ever done. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> well, while we're on the topic of music real quick, uh, Waxworks Records, which is one of those uh, little boutique labels that does horror movie soundtrack reissues, their, their uh, inaugural launch release was Reanimator. Nice. And the labels, rather than saying side A, side B, it's side cat dead and side details later. <laughs> oh, lovely. Awesome. So I, I got a later pressing of that. Brian, what color is yours? Did you get, like, the glow-in-the-dark green version? No, yeah, I just have the regular green one. Okay, yeah, mine's, like, green with a cool white swirl in it, I think, so. Yeah, the repress was better. So running back to the that scene in the basement with the cat again, obviously Jeffrey Combs is a fucking phenomenal actor and this movie is like I mean he's great in everything but this is his masterpiece that bit in the basement right after Dan clobbers Rufus against the wall and re-kills him and he yells look out just to freak him out oh, even yeah. though the cat is still actually dead and then slides down the wall cackling yeah. it's, it's not like that's the first hint you get in the movie that there is some i mean obviously there's been something wrong with this guy from the get-go like he blew the head off his old professor in in uh, switzerland and and all this other stuff but that is like the first whoa he's really fucking unhinged moment because you know he's this brilliant scientist but he still thinks doing that to somebody who was in mortal danger 10 seconds ago is funny (laughs) about the guy's own dead cat even right (laughs) so there's an emotional component to it too 
Did he kill the cat? Oh, undoubtedly. Yeah. <laughs> so has how many of us have read the 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 short story or the decades short, ago? This, but yes, I, was just, I find it interesting that yeah, I was re- I just read it or audiobook it specifically uh, earlier this year, and I, I was reading up on it. So this is considered one of the worst of the Lovecraft stories. Yet it's kind of the most iconic in film. It seems like. Oh, wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because well, almost it's one... nothing survives rather than, other than the character names and the basic thing that Herbert West does. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to adapt a Lovecraft story, this is one that you can do on a budget that you know a human being would would have access to. Uh, you know, and so what's this one about? Oh, well, we've got to film it in Antarctica. We've got to have a ten mile descent into blasphemous cities of non Euclidean geometry, and we need a creature that changes into everything. <laughs> All right. What well, what if we just did one about a mad scientist with some glow stick fluid in a syringe? <laughs> what about the sequels? What do we all think of the sequels? Uh I actually haven't seen them, but they're showing uh Bride of Reanimator at a a horror 12-hour horror movie marathon I'm going to next month. They are, Sweet. of course, an exercise in diminishing returns, but oh, yeah. only slightly diminishing. I really like them both. I know a lot of Me people. Too. People generally like Bride, but agree that it's not as good, which is true. But a lot of people hate Beyond Reanimator, and I don't understand that. I don't understand it either. It's my least favorite of the three. Like, I mean, I really like Bride, um, but like you know. Budget constraints of the first and second movie, um, I th- they hide it pretty well, but they don't hide it very well in in the third one. I just rewatched that one again like last week. Yeah, and I really, do, I mean, other than that, they don't have as much money to pull off as many, uh, pre- you know, gore gags and stuff. What's there is pretty solid. I mean, there's some good makeup effects on the yeah. you know the characters once they get reanimated. There's a great gag where that Spanish comedian who's in all of Del Toro's movies, who plays the like Tommy Chong type like drug addict character in the jail, and he starts shooting up with the reagent, and it like basically turns him inside out. <laughs> That's a good gag, and I love that guy's performance. He's like, you know, he's this shivering pile of gunk, barely clinging to a skeleton. He's like, hey man, you got got any more? <laughs> <laughs> and Brian Brian no directed um, the two, uh, Bride and Beyond, both, right? Yep, both okay. sequels. Yeah, and yeah. and Bride was still. I think he was still working in the states at that time. And then Beyond Remat- Beyond Reanimator was made was uh, in Spain in, in Spain, his yeah. fantastic factory studio. Yeah, but uh, but there's Beyond is something I never picked up on before. Uh, but it's very cleverly edited. There are a lot of moments, big scenes that are pushing the plot forward where important things are happening simultaneously in different parts of the jail. Because For those of you who haven't seen Beyond Reanimator, Herbert West has been put in jail for the events of the first two movies and he's essentially on like work detail as the prison doctor. But he's in secret continuing his experiments and he has discovered what he calls nanoplasm which is the uh, essentially the electromagnetic component of the human soul that when you die it 
leaves your body, but he's found a way to extract it at the moment of death and has this theory that it's completely interchangeable. It's just another energy source, which proves not to be true to some catastrophic uh, events later on. But so there, there are several key moments in the movie where important plot driving things are happening in different parts of the prison and they're edited together in a way that not just to suggest that they're happening at the same time like you would have but that they're put together in such a way that they, they're like bouncing off each other like a line from one segment will finish or will start a line that oh, ends yeah. a line in the next segment and it just makes these jokes like rapid fire bouncing off each other and it's pretty wonderful it's been forever since I've seen Beyond. I think uh, I have it on DVD. I should revisit it. Um, I think I only watched it the first, the one time when I first got it on on DVD. Maybe a couple times. I don't remember, but it's been that long. Now, Bride, I've seen way more, um, way more times. Um, and Bride, I really like Bride, but it also feels like it was at the heyday of special uh, special effects studios and how special effects artists were rock stars in the day and i think there was several different studios that worked on this one and it yeah f- it was like every fucking effects studio yeah. that wasn't tom savini did something and bright reanimator yeah exactly and it feels like the movie is nothing more than just a big um a big effects reel for these studios this is so effects heavy not that i'm complaining again i really like bride and, you know, that's probably one of the reasons why I like Breaks. It's got a lot of cool effects. But, uh, yeah, it definitely, it definitely is a sign of its time um, being so effects-heavy. Also, Beyond Reanimator ends with a reanimated rat having a silly cartoon sound effects fisticuffs fight with a reanimated severed dick. <laughs> so if, if that doesn't make you want to see it... Sold! has anyone got the arrow release and seen the integral version oh there's a different version of the movie on there did they put in 20 minutes almost 20 minutes oh shit no i didn't wow i guess i am gonna have to rebuy that i heard uh I, i just Chris Alexander that used to be with Fango, he I just he just posted the other day he was watching it and he just went on and on about how much he loved it and got me excited to get it again and he just said it's it was awesome and Those Yeah, almost twenty minutes. That's crazy. So I, I know I'm familiar with a lot of the stuff they cut out, which some of it's available as deleted scenes on the various D V D releases and some of it's reinstated in the novelization bits with uh Dr. Hills explains his mind control stuff a little more, that he's been doing experiments in that. And there's a a through line that kind of got cut out that Herbert West is actually addicted to the reagent and takes it in very small doses and never has to sleep because of it. Hmm. That's interesting. Well, well, it probably also has a lot, because there was also like a full subplot too with Dr. Hill that explained that explained a lot more of like some of his crazy mad scientist experiments where where it explains more on how he can um mind control the zombies at the end right and t- tied in with like the lobotomies that he was doing and stuff 
It did happen kind of fast. Yeah, yeah, because I do remember hearing somewhere, reading somewhere that uh, that there was more to that that explained that. But I don't know. I I've never really gave it a second thought and like, well, how can how can this uh, severed head have mind control powers over these zombies? Um, I don't know. I just accepted it. Always accepted it. So I think the movie is strong enough where you didn't really need everything telegraphed to you. I thought it was that because he'd lobotomized them with the laser, he he'd put them on a wavelength that he could control. Yeah, but there's there was also something there was a there was something more to it too that explained it more. Um, explained exactly what all that meant. Yeah, you're right though. It's there for people to trip over. Yeah. Yeah. And. Uh, I speak, you know, going back to the the mad science of it. I love that when uh, West thinks that he's about to die, with, with you know, a lot of justification, he he throws his notes out and says to save them. Oh yeah, uh-huh. <clears throat> that's some dedication. That's that's some post grad mad doctor stuff. <laughs> 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 well, I mean, you know, you're gonna get taken out by your own twisted creation. It's it's part of the list. So. You know, he had his notes ready to go. He uh, he he wanted that to survive, even though he knew he wouldn't until the sequels. Poor Barbara. Also, uh, I would love to see Jeffrey Combs as the bad guy in a James Bond movie. It'll probably never happen, but good God, do I want to see that occur? Oh yeah! How good is he? Amazing, the best. <laughs> My first, ex- my first ever experience of ever even hearing of this movie, is when it was reviewed on Siskel and Ebert. <laughs> and Siskel- I bet they loved it. They did actually. Oh wow! I remember it getting good reviews, and I wanted to make sure I wasn't wrong, so I looked. I just now looked up online, Roger Ebert's uh, website with all of his movie reviews on it, and he he gave it three stars. Cool. Yeah, and. The scene that they showed on the show was that scene where it's Dr. Hill's head in the pan and he's saying, you bastard, while the body comes up from behind him and smacks West's head on the cabinet, on the counter. And, uh, and so I was just like in shock and awe, first of all, that these guys actually gave it a good review because they're notorious for hating horror movies, especially... Well, that's not totally true. Uh, Ebert gave the OG Dawn of the Dead four stars. And, that's and true. And he was... Kind of alone in that critical appraisal. That that's you're 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 right there, and I I've always felt like uh, Ebert was was definitely more more um more forgiving than Siskel. In, in oh yeah, Gene Gene Siskel, Siskel loved Carnosaur. Oh no shit. Yes. <laughs> oh wow. And wow. Roger Ebert hated the original Japanese Godzilla, but loved the Raymond Burr version. So the, who fucking knows what that guy was thinking? <laughs> Credibility <laughs> out the window. He gave three stars to Congo and Inframan, though. So you know, I kind of that's true. <laughs> well, it, but when it comes to like the, the horror films they don't like, it, they, that they're definitely um, that those reviews stand out far more than the positive ones. They campaign against movies, especially the slashers of the '80s. They really despised that genre. But so yeah, so yeah, that was my first uh, ever experience with Reanimator. It was Siskel and Ebert. Hmm. 
hmm. and actually giving it a positive review. So I knew I had to see it. I don't remember the first time ever watching it, though. I remember seeing a poster for it. There was like a an indoor flea market at a shopping mall, and there was somebody selling movie posters, and I would have been 10 or 11 when it came out. So let's say 11 or 12 when the poster was being sold at this flea market. And I just, you know, he's got a good head on his shoulders and another one in a pan on his desk. And I was just like, I need to see this. And my parents will never let me see this. (laughs) (laughs) I was right on both. I vividly remember seeing this one for the first time. And it was me and Foy and some other of our friends at one of our uh, movie night weekends during high school. Remember that evening? I mean, not, yeah. the, not necessarily the specific evening, but the experience of seeing this movie for the first time and being like, holy shit. Because we were basically just renting crap to laugh at and then all just wound up kind of glued to this one. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we tend to we tend to uh, really hype up Microwave Massacre as like this galvanizing moment. But this, I think this predated that as far as like they make movies like this and they're at premiere video. Like you can just hit, get them. <laughs> Yeah, because I, I remember it was that was one of the nights we had at my parents' place, and the movies were on my card, so they stayed with me. And I remember after everyone went home at like six o'clock in the morning, and I'd got a couple hours of sleep, I woke up and watched it again. Oh, like, nice. I was like, well, I have to make sure this is as good. You know, it wasn't just yeah. the bleary all the Mountain Dew and all this tiredness. <laughs> not not even Mountain Dew. We uh, got the three liter bottles of Aunt Mabel's Wild Mountain from Cash Wines. <laughs> oh shit, the hard stuff. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, the hard to drink stuff, anyway. <laughs> but it was cheap as hell. But no, I I remember like waking up and going, I've got to like. Was it just the 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 moment in which we watched it and we were all in the kind of clicking and with this movie and we were tired and or was it really that good and i watched it again and went god damn now that i'm it's quiet and it's just me paying attention it's even better than i fucking remember so yeah that is ever since been one of my favorite movies i just fucking love that movie awesome terry i haven't heard much from you on this one uh it's good (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> all right i don't know what else to add you don't to leave it you guys don't saying. they don't leave any meat on the bone they just don't they just don't they, it's true they don't. they don't get in there they, they don't leave you any <laughs> <laughs> and uh the executive producer of firefly was uh the second unit director on reanimator that was like one of his first gigs huh. in any kind of movie anything oh nice that's awesome now, what are you talking about, Jason? There's still plenty to talk about with this movie. We have not talked about... There's yet two about, things, specifically. About Barbara 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 yeah. Boobs. <laughs> yeah. I figured I shouldn't be the one to bring up the oh, boobs. Yeah. She's great in this movie. <laughs> she is a wonderful actress. With Happened huge to... acting abilities. <laughs> those, those aren't abilities. <laughs> I grew Natural up with talents. Her. Yeah. I grew up with her in Chopping Mall. I was I didn't realize yeah. until much later that she that she was a was a, something of a scream queen. Oh yeah, well I I knew her from Stuart Gordon pictures before I before I knew her from Chopping Mall. But I came into Chopping Mall way later in life because that VHS box back in the day always turned me off. But it's probably one of my favorite movies of all time now. I love Chopping Mall. 
Yeah, I watched Chopping Mall a lot when I was growing up, and this is a true story because it was my babysitter had it in their collection of tapes, and there was an episode of Elf on afterward. So to get to Elf, I watched Chopping Mall about 20 times. <laughs> Never thought to hit the fast-forward button at all. Or... I guess it must not have dawned on me at the time. But no, so I've, seen, yeah, so I've seen Chopping Mall a lot, and I, st- and I still like it. And whenever and you still he, like Elf? Whenever he hears... You know, whenever he thinks of Alf, he thinks of Chopping Mall. Got yep. it. <laughs> All right, so... What? I'm sorry. I was going to say, Alf eats cats. We're killing cats in Reanimator. We're back full circle. Nice. Nice. Well played. Oh, my God. That reminds me of something. We were at a horror convention like a year or so ago, and they had a t-shirt um, that had Alf on it, and it had and it said in like the Slayer font it said Pussy Slayer (laughs) it was was amazing it was amazing how many did you buy? all of them no how many did they have? (laughs) yeah I just hope that one of my friends buys that someday so I can be proud to call them my friend still one of my all time favorite like mashup of of pop culture things for a purpose of comedy has got to be that that poster you found of Don Knotts' Nosferatu. Oh my god. Nosferatu. Nosferatu. Oh my god. That's fucking amazing. amazing. Wow, that's better than the legalized Shemp shirt I wanted to buy. (laughs) (laughs) Shemp Howard's ugly mug and clouds of smoke. (laughs) That's awesome. Oh, man. Well, it sounds like we're uh, ready to move on from Reanimator, then, if we're talking about The Three Stooges. Um, Tad, Tad, what movie should we talk about next, do you think? Um, We'll move into my favorite of the group, Um, one of my all-time favorite movies, The Fly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes. Snap! And this is a pretty simple premise. Um, Once again, another mad scientist. Not not necessarily a mad scientist, just a sort of lonely um, really introvert. Really good scientist. Yeah. yeah, played by the amazing Jeff Goldblum, and to me, what is probably his best role. Mm-hmm. Um, Perfect. He he uh, basically builds a transportation machine, so he uh, falls in love with a pretty girl, um, fucks up, gets himself uh, turns himself into a fly, and uh, <laughs> that's that's pretty much the movie. <laughs> Really it's is. true. Yep. <laughs> I An enthusiastically disgusting movie. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, God. The barfing up the enzymes every time. I have an, it's so I have gross. an anecdote about this. <laughs> uh, I was 11 when this movie came out, and Dave Kerr of the Chicago Tribune gave it four stars. Uh, so I read something like, I don't know, seven sentences out of the one-page review to my mom about why we should go see it. And she took me and my younger brother to go see The Fly. Oh, my. I was not allowed to pick the movie for a good long while. And she also made sure to read the entire review of anything I said I wanted to see after that. So did you did you sell it to her by just saying, you know, naked Jeff Goldblum with a monkey? Uh, I said something like, oh, it's a remake of this movie that had Vincent Price in it, and it's from this director that did a couple other movies I like. I did not mention the movies. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, let me that, guess, Video that it's supposed to be 
really cool and like it's updated it it's like and there there had to have been this was a couple years before the blob remake but there had to have been a couple other like dracula or frankenstein or something remakes around this time that i could have pointed to but basically uh it uh you know she said it was a very good movie she said it was really great she said it was also absolutely inappropriate for me (laughs) uh and and that she was really disappointed and and all i said was like well I, i got to see the movie (laughs) <laughs> um, I I remember because The Fly and Aliens came out the same weekend, and that's a hell of a weekend. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I was not allowed to see Aliens for a few weeks after that because they were still ticked about The Fly. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you had to choose between the two, and you chose The Fly? Yes. I like it. I like yeah, it. That is the better <laughs> choice. I agree. Uh, I mean, Aliens I is one of the best action movies anybody's ever made, and you know there will never be an exit line like you always were an asshole, Gorman. But of the two, uh, The Fly is the the superior work of art, in my opinion. Yeah. I can honestly say, like every time I watched this again last night, and I've I've seen this so many times, and every yeah. time I watch it, I still get like uncomfortable. Um, I feel like my stomach sort of drops. That like. When the first time when she comes back and sees him, like he's walking with the the two canes on his yeah. hands, like to me when he comes around the corner and he's disintegrated to the to that point where he's using the two canes, that for some reason that gives me like goosebumps. So every time I see it, it still it blows my mind. Like I still get a, a weird reaction from watching this movie, which is great. I am one hundred percent with you right there. This is yeah. one of, if not maybe the only movie that I find genuinely frightening and consistently so it never loses that power yeah because i mean you care about the characters you spend enough time with them and they're developed enough and likable enough that you you identify with them you feel for them and as you know i'm i'm not breaking any ground pointing this out but this movie isn't about only on the surface is it about a fly monster. It's about a disease that you can't control taking you over. You know, it's a movie about AIDS. It's a movie about cancer. It's you know, what, insert disease here, and that's fucking scary because it could you couldn't really turn into a fly monster, but you could really get cancer, and it's you could really you know, wind the, up hurting the people you love. You could really wind yeah. up watching yourself corrode. Yeah, knowing there's for, no point of return and for that uh, those reasons this movie is just fucking gut-wrenching yeah very yeah, much i so. think when i was yeah when i was looking at kind of how are these movies the same and how are they different i think this is this is the one that what really stuck out to me at this one other than just its general amazing quality is the fact that this is really the only truly sympathetic uh mad scientist here that we're talking about today totally um, yeah Everybody else, every, you know, we we you know we can go on and on about how much we love you know Herbert West and Jeffrey Combs, but he's not a sympathetic character. You know, he imperils many people with you know with no real end game that you can point to. It's like, well, that's an, there, there's no downside to reanimating the dead. Uh, but Jeff, yeah, Jeff Goldblum is just uh, he's just vulnerable in this one moment. He doesn't really deserve anything that happens to him. His his creation wasn't meant to to you know bring back the dead or anything it was it was practical it was actually a thing we could use yeah yeah i mean even if it only ever worked as like a bulk cargo transport thing it would have changed all life on earth forever 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's totally. that's a very noble thing to do to say, well, uh, let's let's make it so there's no more plane crashes. Let's make it so there's no more car accidents. We can just things can get where they need to be. Oh, and by the way, I've also rewritten the the way we understand physics. <laughs> Another thing too with like a you know Jeff Goldblum, Jeff Goldblum's performance. I mean, there's there's definitely some 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 turns that he takes in his in his character, which is kudos to his ability as an actor. But uh, one of the things that makes him such a um, uh, sympathetic character that we can attach to and relate to is he's almost got like a childlike nature about him in the first, like a childlike innocence about him in the first first act of the movie. Like he, oh yeah, and um, that that scene where she, uh, Gina Davis's character says, everybody here says they're working on something that's going to change the world, and he just gives a little half smile and goes, yeah, but I really am. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he plays the role perfectly um, for such a short period of time. Like it, it goes right into it. The movie doesn't, you know, beat around the bush. It goes right into it, and for the short amount of time we sort of get the character development, it truly does make you care about the characters. Um, he is like, I think maybe watching it, I can sort of, you know, maybe we relate to him in some way, but. Um, you know, he's he's spilling his guts. He's excited to talk to somebody about something he's passionate about. Uh, almost ruins him. You know, she she uh, so sort of threatens to take his story and run with it. Uh, but his his little quirks through his performance, even I mean, all the way, like you said, from sort of being childlike when um, you, we first meet him, all the way to when he's developing. He, when he's almost, you know, complete fly, he's got the twitch down. He's sort oh, of yeah, uh, those twitches are yeah, amazing. The twitch. oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, the twitch, and I mean, just little little nuances. Um, like when she comes to see him, and he's walking on the ceiling, how he's like, sort of still has. You sort of see that childlike part of him again because he's he's excited. He's like, I've, mas- I've you know, I figured it out now. I'm, I'm feeling like you know, I'm I'm better at this, and uh, just he's he was perfectly cast and just. Uh, every time I watch this, I'm amazed by that performance. Still, it's it's just a great movie. Absolutely. And he's so excited because he's learning something new. He's yeah. got a new mystery yeah. to solve, even though he's terrified because he knows what's happening is probably not going to end well for him. It's it engages his mind, and he's attached to that. One of my favorite bits of performance from him in this is when he's uh, he yaks on the donuts in front, like he's she comes to see him, and they sit down, and he just. Uh, and then he reacts with this genuine shock. Like, oh my God, I'm sorry, that was disgusting. That like, was he didn't even know it was coming. He just did it as an instinct because that's what a fly would, you know, that's how they eat. And so his fly part, part takes over for a moment and he does that. And then the human part kicks back in and, you know, it's he realizes he had a really bad party foul there. Yeah. yeah. And it's almost uh, one of the more scary parts of the movie two is when he sort of he turns into the sort of asshole where he starts developing what he thinks are you know he's he's becoming superior he's become perfect and he gets he gets angry at her and like storms out of the apartment and goes to the bar and and picks up the the other woman it's like when when he turns into this monster of a human it's it's even scary then because you see like you said someone so childlike turning into uh just such an angry uh power driven guy it's it's just uh 
it's it's sort of sad but also scary at the same time for sure yeah and and it's you know again it worked it's just he didn't he didn't notice the fly in there and and from then like at first he thinks oh i think being teleported purifies you and it's because the the process is just starting yep Right, and, and from then like, on, it's like, okay, what part of Jeff Goldblum's body is going to fall off? Yeah, like when he's looking in the mirror and he pull, like his teeth come out, and he's almost yeah. complete fly. Like that's another sort of scene that gives you the creeps because that's like, I don't know, I I always have nightmares where my teeth fall out or whatever, and it's like, oh, yeah. you know, I mean, he he slowly pulls out his fingernails. That's one thing, but then uh. it goes to the teeth. You know, it just it just keeps getting worse and worse to the point where you know she rips off his jaw. I mean, yeah, it's the transformation. Yeah, I mean, when his eyes fall out and his face slides off, I mean, that's you know, that just it, it it they keep building and building and building. Like things get more and more disgusting, and like he's just isn't he just biting on a pencil or something, and then his teeth all drop out. Yep. Yeah. Uh, the the one that really got me was when uh, the computer no longer recognized his voice. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's like, that's the moment for me too. Yeah. I mean, you've seen all of you know you you've seen him turn into the walking pustule eventually, but realizing that everything that you've seen happening on the outside is also continuing on the inside was was the second worst thing for me. The worst being the arm wrestling scene. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought the the final Brundle fly, like not not the machine, not Brundle booth, but Brundle. The final Brundle fly looks incredibly sympathetic, like it just totally yep. pathetic yeah. as yes. it's terrifying. We have a Chihuahua at home, and the Chihuahua's eyes kind of remind me of Brundle fly. <laughs> oh Jesus! Oh wow! <laughs> It'd be amazing if you named your Chihuahua Brundle fly. That'd be awesome. Yeah, good idea. <laughs> it's incidentally, Mike. That dog's name is Lord Leonard the Third. So <laughs> close. So it was close. I'm sure the fingernails was one of your least favorite. Uh, yeah, that's that's like the OG fingernail. Yeah, disturbing scene. Yeah. Uh, I, didn't uh, Joe Gimato's Buyo Omega come before this movie, where he rips that chick's fingernails off with the uh, the uh, fireplace? Like the wood shifting tongs. Yeah, but I didn't see that until after okay. the fly. So <laughs> who did the effects in the fly? Chris Wallace. And what's what what uh, what amazes me? Um, again, this is. I mean, obviously, the effects deserves a big kudos in this movie, and big praise. But again, it's the height of the special effects artist. 86, right? Who gets the first credit at the closing credits of the movie? It's not the director. It's not the writer. It was the effects team. That's right. That's that's what I noticed this time around. Well, I mean, they they made... They they designed the five pounds of goop that Jeff Goldblum was going to be wearing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, again, it's, it's deserved, but you don't see that. You don't see that hardly at all in movies that the first credit, the closing credits, is the effects team. Yeah. Um, I didn't think I'd get a chance to rewatch this, and so I put it on this morning when I'm getting ready for work, thinking I'll just watch maybe half of it just to have a little bit of a refresher. I couldn't turn it off. I, no. I was almost late for work. I sat and watched <laughs> the whole thing. 
Well, and you're talking about the the effects guys as rock stars and that, and that you know that this came out in the height of that time period. But even though this movie has a ton of amazing effects in it, they are not the centerpiece of the movie like they are no. in everything else. They yeah, are 100 percent right. there to serve the story. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That story is first. A very, very unusual for a movie like this, which is just another reason why it's so strong and one of the greatest horror films ever made. True. It's a it's a romantic tragedy with a man turning into a, a horrible, horrible worst version of himself. And the thing I noticed watching it again this morning, it's all the woman's fault. I wasn't gonna say it. It's what? It's totally the woman's fault. She runs. Uh, up. No. He gets that. He gets that envelope um, under his door. That's the magazine cover that from her story that she promised that it wouldn't get published. And she opens it and she looks at it and she's being very mysterious about it. She's like, "I gotta go take care of, go, go take care of something in the middle of the night." Just runs off. Right when they're about ready to celebrate this, this was, you know, spicy eggplant, and yeah, spicy eggplant, and and so he's left alone to wondering what the hell's going on, gets paranoid and gets jealous and has been drinking, and that's where it all fell apart. But wouldn't that be her asshole ex-boyfriend editor Stathis Boran's fault then, because he's the one who published it, even though she promised to? Because it was basically like. You're gonna hand this story in, so it's ready to go, or we're gonna have your job. Well, and so she gave it to him on the promise that he would not do anything with it until she said it was okay, and then he did it anyway. So he's the douchebag. Oh yeah, who the fuck names their kids Stathis Boran? <laughs> that, that sounds. He like, should have been the mad scientist, right? Uh-huh. Right. That sounds like something that like a, some kind of chemical compound or something. Oh, well, he he's definitely a, a creepy douchebag for sure, but. But he's also a she, hero in the end too, which is which is interesting, uh, right? He kind of he he, he kind of come around with his character a little bit there. The how end. much do you fucking hate the John Getz guy? I mean that he's he makes you mad. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I yeah. liked his little cameo in the second one too. Yeah, of all the characters oh, to yeah. to reprise their roles, it was interesting they brought him into it. Um, I like the second one a lot too. I I. I really do. I mean, it's it's definitely not on par at all with the first movie, but it's still fun, a fun follow up. I think. Yeah. It, something I love about and this is if you had more to say on that, say it first because I'm completely changing tacks here. So. Oh, I was just going to rant some more about it was the woman's fault, but we can move on. So. <laughs> oh, I'm just going to say I'm going to say I blame I blame blame fragile masculinity all around. I think they're both. That's the, that's their their shared condition is fragile masculinity. Yeah. Well, she she couldn't She-man just woman haters over there. In that moment, she just couldn't be open and honest with him in that moment and put him at ease. No. Okay, he's the one so, that chose to drink a bunch of booze. Well, she's the one who ran off and the told mistakes. the editor in he's the first lucky place. He didn't get turned into like half grain producing plant when he went through. Yeah, if it read guy... all the alcohol in his yeah. bloodstream. <laughs> I wondered that too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I wondered. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, you know, he's he's a professional scientist, and that was like he risked his life stepping into that pod. That was his decision because he was drunk and distraught. Well, that's why, why is that okay? 
I'm not yeah, saying that's it's... on him. That's not on her. That's I'm not... not on her. Oh, he made yeah, totally. choices. Get out, Mike. Get out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what were you going to say, uh, Brian? You can blame the fly. <laughs> it is, the fly was a dick. Fucking sex. The fly asked for none of this. The fucking computer is a dick, okay? Yeah, yeah, where, that's true. Where did gene splicing happen? Like, I mean, I know that it wasn't really... I mean, it's programmed more for synthetic things, which they talk about. And he does the baboon, which... How the hell does he get his hands on so many freaking baboons? But I wondered uh, that, too. I had that it's moment 80s, of, like, yeah. why do you get another... Ba- how do you get another baboon? But and then, like, I've, it does talk earlier about how he was getting this funding and whatnot. So. Yeah. Well, he, he also says something about the baboon's brother, so presumably yeah. he got a couple of them at the same. He's yeah. got bulk baboons. But it's yeah. just like the thing is, though, to go straight to baboon, you know, like could you maybe pick a cheaper, maybe like a mouse, a smaller a animal on the food chain? That's yeah, I thought too. I was like, oh, he's gonna have a mouse in there because I hadn't, I couldn't remember what sort of animal he had. I'm like, oh yeah, why did they skip to a fucking monkey? Like <laughs> because because they had to have that scene where he's naked holding it. It's so like it's such a weird, <laughs> a weird. Favorite. Image. Yeah, it's just ridiculous. It's like, me. Which uh, apparently he was just like scared shitless during that scene because baboons are fucking terrifying. Yeah, they oh, are. And, 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 and the particular one that they had working on the movie was an exceptionally assholey baboon. Yeah, they're super aggressive <laughs> animals. I, one of the first times they did the the sequence where it's going through the brundle pod and the lights start flashing, apparently it freaked the baboon out and it ripped the door off of the pod to get out Jeez. and was like tearing around the lab set in a panic. And they were like, oh my God, this thing's going to kill us all. Kind of the black Philip of his time. Right? <laughs> here's how I, here's how much I was into the story up to that moment. When the, when the baboon's sitting there and it's swatting at flies, I'm like, why is the baboon just really smelly? Why is there a fly buzzing around? I'm like, oh yeah, dumb. Watching the fly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's just setting up the fly. There's also a cool deleted scene that they had to cut out because it was considered too gruesome and graphic. That he sent it through. I want to say it's with a cat. He sent the baboon through the like to see what would happen, and it, they came out like all fused together oh. and trying and like fighting with each other, like trying. See, to, I like, feel like that would be. I would have appreciated that scene because I'm like, why the fuck did it fuse them? They should just be like, the fly could be in him or something, but why are, why are their genetic materials well, together? Well, uh, thinking about it though, I'm kind of glad that they didn't keep that scene because then I would wonder how come... The surprise would go away. Well, no, I would wonder how come that was instantaneous, but, but um, yeah. Brundle's deterioration uh... happened slowly. Presumably yeah, because probably... the baboon and the cat were similar sizes. Oh, yeah. And Brundle and, and, and the fly were so yeah. desperate that the computer didn't know what to do with them. That's, I mean, have you ever yeah, that's done true. something? That's... A simple process that you've done with your computer a million times. Uh, use Microsoft Word, check your email, whatever. And something fucks up that you've never seen before. You don't know why it did it. You didn't tell the computer to do that. And you can't figure out how to fix it. That's why it decided to splice the genes because computers are fucking stupid. Because he Aww, used Microsoft. Brian. <laughs> That's Brian. Uh, they they might have just had like more <laughs> scenes of him programming it because remember he sends the steak through and the steak tastes wrong and weird, so yeah. he figures out how to make the machine understand that. So then, you know, if he sends the the baboon and monkey through 
and it fused them, he would have, you know, tried again, like, okay, they're separate things, and try to get the computer to understand that, which is what right. would have doomed him. Right. That's that's just a hypothesis. We'd have to test it by asking <laughs> Jeff Goldblum how he would program it after the monkey cat went through. And and I'm sure he would say, well, who gave you this number? <laughs> <laughs> I, I've heard he's really cool. He'd probably answer that question for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I imagine he's an amazing dude in real life. I just appreciate how much shirtless Jeff Goldblum there is in this movie. Uh, it's apparently his favorite role too. <laughs> I feel like he just always wants to be shirtless, like as a person. <laughs> I he can just see seems that. like that kind of guy. Don't we all? For real have though, seen, I think it's his uh, best movie. Have you seen the Life Aquatic? Yes. Yep. Oh yeah. 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 There's a scene where he beats a three-legged dog with a newspaper, and I still love him. <laughs> <laughs> still. Be still, Cody. <laughs> And I tell you what, like, yeah, I know I get kind of pervy on the show about uh, beautiful women in movies, um, but Gina Davis, I'm just going to say, I'm just going to say, stunning. She's stunning. I'm not being pervy this time. I just think she is just a beautiful (laughs) woman. She also, I mean, her role in this was awesome, too. I mean, how tragic for her, too. Oh, man being on that end of things and not knowing what to do and then getting fucking knocked up with a potential fly baby and all that. Oh yeah. Best director cameo that, ever. That stuff yeah. was scary for me. <laughs> like I was like, um, maybe just from a woman's side of things. I'm I don't like, want oh, a larva. No. <laughs> yeah, I think well, no. that would have been one of the early, I think that might've been the first time I like abortion. That's a thing. I, I, I had, I don't know if yeah. I even knew what that was when I first uh, saw sure. that movie. It's really not much of a hot topic. Well, back then. Oh, I'm sure there's been cultural wars on it since Roe vs. Wade yeah. was decided. Sure. <laughs> on her performance at the very end, when she has to blow its head off, and she's sobbing and crying and freaking yeah. out, like yeah. that's that, that, that's a hell of a performance. Yeah, right. And she's doing it to this big, weird, slimy bug puppet. Now I've seen a lot yeah. of people act against big slimy bug puppets throughout the movies that I've watched. You have. But that is the standout one right there. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I love, I love, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, definitely kudos to that performance from her in that moment, because I think that's, I think this is the one movie where somebody versus a giant bug puppet where I was teary-eyed after the fact when its head got blown off. Yeah, she acts her ass off in this movie. Yeah. I love le- I love leaving the movie right there. Like we don't need to see like you know her recovery or redemption or anything. Just you know that yeah. we leave right at right at that emotional peak. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is abrupt, but it's it's pretty cool. Yeah, to do that. Uh, uh, we're all just best a- best Jeff Goldblum performance, and it's my favorite Cronenberg. Yeah, yeah. It's- I'd, I'd have to say it's probably my favorite Cronenberg too. And uh, like you know, Tad was saying right at the top when we were discussing this, like probably one of my top favorite horror movies or just movies, period, ever. Because it's like so I said, good. it's one of the only movies that is genuinely scary to me. Like jump scares, eh, whatever. I don't care about ghosts. I don't care about clowns. I don't care, you know, whatever. What about ghost clowns? 
Good question. Or, or clown snakes. Clown snakes. <laughs> spiders. Yeah, it's not clown snakes. Women. You put that there. Spider it's not clown women. snakes. <laughs> um, I forgot what I was going to say now. It's a genuine tragedy, and it's one that makes you feel for the characters and scares you because of the potential of darkness that's in everybody, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, I've known Brian yeah. for, what, 15 years now? Oh, uh, yeah, yep, yeah, 2002, yep, so 15 yeah. years. We could, do we could do telepathic communication over Skype once in a while. <laughs> they might be doing it right now. You don't know. Yeah. Well, it's the Mad Science episode. We wouldn't tell you. It'd just be too late. <laughs> Not until we saw the lightning, and then it'd be too late. Well, hey, Mike, I'm yeah. gonna throw. I'm going to throw you a little segue. How about that? Okay, sounds great. One aspect of movies that I always find fascinating is design, and I'm not just talking about, like, did they build a cool monster or whatever, but what items in real life they take to turn into something completely different in movies. Now, in The Fly, the Brundle Pods were designed after the cylinder housings of the engine of David Cronenberg's Ducati 450 Desmo motorcycle. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. So, what other movies on our list may have a whole bunch of <laughs> whole bunch. random everyday things smashed together into their design? Hmm. Hmm. Oh, I know. Frankenstein's Army, <laughs> aka steampunk Nazi zombies. <laughs> yes. Aka <laughs> actual aka worst case scenario. That was going to be the original oh, title of the movie. Nice. Really? When they were... Um, I don't like it. They No. Well, <laughs> I think like the original concept was probably way different, but you can go see... There's like two teaser trailers that they shot before they even came close to making the movie. Um, there's a couple teaser trailers you could find online called Worst Case Scenario Trailers. Um, huh. And they're pretty cool because it's got like these... Mutated zombie parrot troopers coming down while these kids are playing in a field. Oh, yeah. It's really creepy. It's really yeah, awesome. Yeah. Anyway, so, yes, Frankenstein's Army. Uh, what's it about? What is it? Yeah, it's about watching? an hour and 25 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it's about watching somebody play through a video game. It's yeah, a lot more like is, that yeah. than the movie. Yeah, uh, yeah I got that feeling too. <laughs> Found footage. Yeah. Uh, although I, I do like that they had a Russian character call it the Great Patriotic War because that's what they call it. They don't call it World War II over there. Oh, interesting. Mm. Yeah. Right, one minute in, I was like, oh, hey, somebody actually cared during the screenplay. And then three minutes later, I was like, or not. <laughs> <laughs> well, how did we feel about this movie? I... I I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I thought I it was fun. It, it, it was, was all right. Uh, I liked a lot of the thing. like, there's a character who gets disemboweled, and the the way they took care with the framing of the shots and the way the, the guy with the camera revealed it, like, that was a nicely handled way to do the blocking and to do the, the camera work. Um, I, it, I think they put a lot of care into it, but I think... 
most of the care went into how do we run down this hallway with a camera and have, you know, person A, B, and C over here that we run away from, and much, much less was spent on the screenplay. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Well, yeah, maybe, but to I don't know. To me, it's just a, it's just a gore monster, you know, blood fest. It, yeah, I didn't care too much about story. I was, <laughs> I was yeah. just in well, for, I'd, in I'd for like the fun ride. Something to, something to hang my hat on for this. And yeah. and I thought they reused the suddenly someone is attacked from behind and killed by a creature out of nowhere a couple of times. I yeah. think this is the prime example of when it comes to found footage movies of you've if you go into a movie and you see it's a found footage movie just let that go and enjoy the movie for what it is and don't get hung up on the found footage aspect of it cuz this is the most unrealistic found footage movie ever as far as the <laughs> as far as like that the picture quality and the sound quality is way too good for um for that era of film, for a Soviet movie camera, yeah. 1943. It's way too good for a Soviet movie camera now. <laughs> <laughs> and there and, aren't any more Soviets, Brian, but we got plenty of Russians. And those oh, film reels that went that re- that were running through the camera must be really long. Oh yeah. So, yeah. and and so, I've said that for a long time. When it comes to found footage, you know, fuck all that. Who don't worry about the logic of the found footage. Just look at it as like just that's how they want to tell their story. Who, who cares? And this is a prime example of that. If you go into this movie getting hung up on, on the found footage aspect, why is he still filming? You know why? How can there still be film in the camera? Blah 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 blah. Then you're totally missing the point. Well, I mean, at one point he does say it's his last reel, which which means that the filmmakers cared enough about that, like. Well, we'll answer the question by putting in a scene that addresses it, and I'm fine with that. It doesn't. I don't need to go. Oh well, okay. There's only 22 minutes of film here, but he bumped the camera, which means it's 21 and a half. But yeah, exactly. Yeah, they, they they made enough reference to it. You know, it goes black, and and he has to put more reels in. Well, there's yeah, there's uh, several moments throughout the film where you could see yeah. where the reels were changed. Yeah, I get yeah. that. They're still and, and they're just still that too they were long. Willing to address it. That's <laughs> Those, perfectly fine by me. I still think those reels were too long in between those moments, but uh, but that's but that's what I'm saying. I'm with you 100. percent Like it shouldn't matter, you know. That's no, not, I that's agree not with why you we're more. here. And if we <laughs> and if we are um, if we're going to expect that out of a found footage movie, then it, the movie's going to get so bogged down with with telegraphing us the logic of of why we're still shooting it and. And how come there's all this film and whatever the whatever the thing is, and it's going to take away from the movie. So just sit back and enjoy the film. Wow, you've come yeah. around, Mike, because I remember you hating found footage. <laughs> well, I'm going to say, technique. I'm glad that you use... taught yourself to just get used to it and deal with it. <laughs> there's people that can be good at using a technique, and there's people can, that can be yeah. dog shit at using a technique. It, it be a really fun way i mean you know it's a different just a different point of view that you're seeing what's going on it can be interesting exactly exactly and with that said i will say i don't feel like this movie needed to be done in found footage style i want to i want to see if people want to shoot films from a first person perspective i want to see more films like um 
you know, some friends of ours made a movie a couple years ago called, um, oh, Brian Wood's movie. Oh. Um, Nightlight. 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 And the whole movie, it was... It comes off as a found footage movie, but the whole movie is POV from the flashlight they're using as they walk through the woods. And I think it's like genius. Um, there's yeah. a, I can't remember the title of it, but there's a noir movie where the entire thing was done in first person, and the only time you see the protagonist is when he looks in a mirror. Nice, nice. Well, yeah. the Maniac remake's like that too. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah so, it is. So, yeah, there could be some that are just from that point of view that aren't necessarily found footage, quote unquote. Ah, Lady in the Lake, which was in 1947. So imagine <laughs> wow. dealing with the film cameras of 1947 while while doing a feature length first person perspective film. Wow! <laughs> wow, that's crazy. You know, so I think like. If they still wanted to do it in that perspective, because they do use, they do use that in 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 some of the scares in the film and some of the some of the action moments. They do use they do use the found footage, the of the shaky cam or not always being in focus or whatever the case may be to the advantage of the film. Um, it'd just be nice to see people go beyond of like somebody carrying a camera and thinking of some some other clever technique of doing a first person perspective film. But, uh, well, see, in my thought, you know, and we, the for, one of the first things we said when we brought up this movie was the video game. Yeah. How it felt like a yeah. video game. And I wondered if that was their intention with having it from that point of view, which it could have been, because I feel like the setting is very similar to some, I don't know, I, for some reason I want to say Bioshock. It kind of reminds me of sort of that feel or something. That was. But, yeah, it reminded me of Bioshock as well, yeah. not just kind of in the aesthetic. I mean, there's no, you know, no no steampunk zombies in Bioshock, but it has a little right. bit of that, and also the misdirection of oh, this character you've been you thought was fairly insignificant ends up being something completely different. That's, right. know, that's featured in there as well. Yeah. So that might have been why they chose to go that route was for that sort of feel. I, I can also see it being a budget consideration. That's exactly what oh, I was yeah. going to say. I think that's because probably... they did a ton of different monster designs for this movie, and obviously that's where they spent all of their money. Yeah. <laughs> but they only had one of each creature to do this, and I would love to see it with a bigger budget in a more general uh, point of view or a, a more uh, standard point of view. You know, like the, the a regular movie would be not found footage, but to do that, you'd need you know. 20 of each one of these things yeah and to <clears throat> just it would have it would put it on a much bigger scale doing it as found footage shrinks it down to that first person perspective and the video game thing it most reminds me of because like you're saying you know bioshock and a lot of there's a lot of you know nazi zombie video games or like a resident evil type thing that have tons of different monsters that they're throwing at you the other thing it reminds me of is it's like watching a filmed walkthrough of a haunted house like Tim was saying earlier, where the monster, you know, they reuse that thing of like people are walking through a corridor and suddenly there's a monster behind them that how the fuck did they not notice it was two feet away from them? They don't exactly blend in. Um, 
But and some of the monsters that we don't get to see much of, I would love to see more of. Like particularly, yeah. I think one of my favorite ones is the ones the big lobster claws. Oh yeah, you only <laughs> see him walking down the hallway. He was one of my favorite creature designs, and you, you barely get a look at it. But and that might have just been that you know the suit broke, so uh, <laughs> right. lobster claw yeah. guy is out. <laughs> you, you're in. And you know, <laughs> propeller heads thinking this is yeah. my big scene. <laughs> It'd be more like, this is what I'm getting seeing. <laughs> talking to the propeller. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Frankenstein's army appears to have about nine guys in it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah when I watched it, it sort of felt like uh, somebody came up with these really cool creature designs, like sketching in a book, and they're like, well, how can we make this something? Um, how about you guys want to do a movie? And they put these you know, creatures together, and it's like, like he was saying, you know, uh, like I said earlier, we don't have the budget to make multiple monsters, we don't have room for humongous, lavish sets, so let's make it, you know, found footage, and I think for what they're working, what what it seemed like they wanted to do, and what they're working with, it was, I, I enjoyed it, even if it, it felt sort of like, uh, uh, just really wanted to show off these designs. I'm okay with that. I wanted to see the oh, designs. Oh yeah, I mean yeah, the, the yeah. designs are are incredible. There's a lot of really and and they do some stuff where like, you know, one of them will be pushing a cart along, and there's another one crawling around, missing its legs, and one more. You know, the, like when they're just doing tasks that they're supposed to be doing, uh, that were were incredibly impressive and you know it you're right about the everything's in focus all the time you always get a great look at whatever the creature design is but that's what we're there for yep exactly and if anyone's got does anyone else have the blu-ray no there's a little there's a little making of extra on there that is primarily what Chad was talking about like hey I have a notebook full of monsters let's make a movie that is almost literally exactly how this movie got (laughs) made oh wow nice and it was based on an original Trapper Keeper from (laughs) (laughs) it was all all designed in the margins or in in napkins yeah (laughs) and there's chemistry homework full of Nazi zombies (laughs) And, and Slayer logos scratched on through um, pentagrams, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. Iron Maiden. Anyway, um, and a lot of but, pictures of dicks for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> that feature really reminds me a lot of. Uh, there's an extra on the Mad Max Fury Road Blu-ray that's all about the design and building of the cars because all of the cars in that movie were completely functional as is. Like they really built all of those things and they really worked on set. Oh wow. And and Frankenstein's army that extra is very similar where it's almost entirely just detailing the building of the monsters and how they could make them work in practical because other than a few like sparking bullet ricochet effects and some blood squibs and stuff like the monsters are 100% yeah working real yeah. practical yeah. effects and yeah. That like if it was a bunch of CGI stuff and the rest of the movie was the same way, all found footage, all very, you know, smash cuts and shaky cam, I'd fucking hate it. Yeah. Really, the only thing that pulls this movie out of the fire for me is the fact that they really built a bunch of functioning monster suits, uh-huh. and they're all every single one of them look awesome. <laughs> totally, yeah. And I, I did like the aesthetic that was, you know, Frankenstein kind of repurposing all of the 
industrial crap that was around him because that's what he had. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. The, the suggestion of one of the first things they see having gone wrong was they're walking by, there's this big, it looks like a mining drill. But oh, yeah. If you've ever seen like mm-hmm. heavy-duty mining equipment, they have these massive, basically it's a tank with a huge drill head on the end. And they walk by something that looks like that in this village, but there's like a dude's skeleton <clears throat> almost built into the frame of it. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. they were... Like he was working on some kind of bunker buster creature or something. That I thought that was really cool. Yeah. And possibly a nod to Alien where there's, you know, the navigator. Yeah. Where you can't really tell what part is the control console and what part is the creature. Right. My favorite creature was the woman's head sewn to the teddy bear body. <laughs> <laughs> that was making, like, orgasm noises yeah. for some inexplicable <laughs> reason. Was that supposed to be like his mom or something in the credits said? Isn't that what uh, Yeah, according to the credits, yes. Oh, my. Oh. Weird. Oh, my. It just made me think of Mars Attacks. Yeah. That's what it looked like. Yeah, yeah, I got that, too. And speaking of credits real quick here, uh, the one and only noticeable name in the movie is Victor Frankenstein himself, uh, Carol Roden, who is probably most notable to our entourage of people as Rasputin in Hellboy. Oh, oh hey! Oh, yeah. Knew he looked familiar. Well, if he plays Caligula, he'll have the whole set. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. So, yeah. Yeah, very fun movie. A lot of cool monsters and creature designs. Definitely worth And sometimes that's all you need. That's right. It's very true. Well, I, I got a little. I, I think kind of. I was trying. I was trying to figure out like kind of what what's going on here beyond the monsters. Not that that's not enough, but I thought there was kind of a cool undertone of kind of this fear of loss of humanity. Kind of you know with, with uh, this fear that the fascists are going to come and take away all our freedoms and make us all you know into menial slaves and things like that. So uh-huh. kind of where he was talking about like you know we are more you know they, they're more you know melding a man and machine they're more efficient with screwdrivers as fingers yeah um, so yeah so kind of this fear you know because when you know this fear that fascism is going to equal you know the loss of our ability to be free um and then kind of literally taking it from us by by taking over our bodies uh, that that was kind of that you know when we think about like why do we fear fascism that was that was something that stuck out for me which then you could take that a little further when later on he asks which one of these men is the best communist? And then he takes that guy and sews half of his brain together with half of a fascist's brain and tries to see what that's... And, you know, ultimately it comes to nothing in the movie, but that he just wants to see, like, what's this going to do? <laughs> is it going right. to be like cat monkey trying to tear itself apart? Or So, yeah, so kind of, yeah, the the, uh, the spirit of Mengele going there just, I don't, I know this, is, I know no good's going to come of this, but let's sew them together and see how long it go, they can go till they tear each other apart. Yeah. Such a deep movie, Frankenstein's Army. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I swear there was a steampunk enforcement droid from Robocop in the background of one of the shots. Yeah, it's oh. Ed 209! <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, you go to hell and you die. <laughs> Please tell me you two collaborated on that before the show started. 
Because that was, like, uh, perfect. No, that but that good. was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, man. On, on that You've note, you got to segue out on that. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah. Uh, let's maybe do, like, a little quick roundtable. Just kind of throw out some titles. Um, you know, one that springs to mind when I think of Mad Scientist mad scientist movies um my it's it's a musical as well as as kind of a horror film and a comedy probably more comedy than horror um where the mad scientist is kind of frankenstein like where he's creating he's creating the perfect specimen of man and and i'm thinking of dr frankenfurter from rocky horror picture show Um, well that ain't no crime that's right (laughs) (laughs) Always been a big Rocky fan, and it's starting to get in, getting close to uh, the Halloween season, which usually when I bust out the Rocky Horror Blu-ray. So, um, Jason, what? he was definitely on my list too. Frank that was Friday. my first one that I could think of. Cool, I was a big fan of. Do you have? Do you have another one? <laughs> another one. I was gonna. I I really liked. Before seeing the Island of Lost Souls doc, I actually li- remember liking the Island of Dr. Moreau, and I don't... You like the, yeah, um, really? the Val Kilmer one. Val Kilmer one. Now, having watched Island of Lost Souls, I don't know how the fuck I did. <laughs> yeah. It's David Thewlis, man. You can't resist a good I David Thewlis. I love Thewlis, David Thewlis a lot. He's one of my favorites ever. But, yeah, that was, that was, that was one that came to my mind real quick, because... He's crazy. Now, have you ever seen like uh, the nope. other versions of Island of Dr. Moreau? I've never seen any other version. Okay. What? So, Dude, you need to see Island of Lost Souls. The, um... Or, the, uh... No, I said that wrong. That's the name of the damn documentary. Um, fuck. What's the one with, um... Snappy. The 1930s one. The 30s one? That's um, Islands of Lost Souls, isn't it? Oh, it is Island of Lost Souls. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I said that right. I just... <laughs> had a little brain fart there. Yes, it's awesome. Okay, it's got Bela Lugosi in it. Oh, awesome! Go watch it. I've never seen the '70s version. That's that's why I asked. I've always wanted to see that one. Um, cool. All right. And you can't get more of a mad scientist than um, you know. Oh, I can't. Why can't I think of his name now? From the from the Doctor Moreau remake, um, Marlon Brando. Marlon Brando, yeah. <laughs> Somebody wearing a flower pot on his head. No one oh. saw. That was an ice bucket from the hotel. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. It was an ice bucket. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I'm just gonna put this on my head and see if anyone says anything to me, and they didn't. I'm Marlon Brando. I can literally do anything on a film set. <laughs> he was definitely testing that theory on on Island of Doctor Moreau. And normally I hate that kind of thing, but from like it sounded like most of his malicious weirdness was directed toward Val Kilmer, who was being such a colossal dick to everyone on the set. Yeah, that I kind of appreciated it. Like I, he was just punking everybody the whole time. <laughs> for some reason, even though I normally can't stand that kind of behavior, that particular. There may have been a lot of things going on with Brando at the time that we just don't. No, because it said in the doc too that you know filming filming with Brando got delayed because what was it his son died son Some, died yeah. yeah so he could have been going through all kinds of stuff we don't know so 
So, Brian, mad scientists. God, there are so many great ones to pick from, and I was having a hard time narrowing it down, but I'm going to have to go with one of my favorite mad scientist movies, my all-time favorite Roger Corman movie, and mm. possibly Ray Milan's tour de force, at least in my book, X, the man with yeah, the X-ray right. eyes. Oh, oh nice. Oh, yeah. He, uh, he plays uh, <laughs> a scientist. He's a an eye doctor specifically who's working on being able to restore people's vision and he comes up with these eye drops that given to people with eye problems make their vision perfect but he starts testing them on himself and uh, eventually you know at, at first he can just like see through chicks clothes at parties and it's like ooh, this is fun and then it starts getting worse he starts being able to see through everything and it starts freaking him out and he winds up uh working at a carnival as a, a fortune teller because he can just look into people's purses and read their driver's licenses and things through their wallets and all this kind of stuff and uh winds up going completely stark raving mad being able to see through to the great Lovecraftian force at the center of the universe and it blasting his mind away and he tears his eyes out in the middle of a tent revival out in the desert and it's fucking awesome and everyone needs to go buy the Kino Lorber Blu-ray of X, the man with the X-ray eyes. Looks awesome. You know what my favorite Ray Milan movie is? Yeah, invited. Oh. <laughs> uh, Panic, in, Panic in Year Zero. Oh, another corner oh. too. Yeah, I really, really like that movie a lot, and he's awesome in it. So, anyway, uh, Terry, what about you? Mad scientist movies. Um, first one that came to mind is uh, from Beyond, aka Flying Penis Snakes. <laughs> <laughs> yep, another Stuart Gordon classic film. Yes. Yeah, and maybe that was just fresh in my mind because we did do a commentary not too long ago on that one. Um, it's just ridiculous. It's like, and it's it, like they took the cast from Reanimator and then just pretty went straight much, into yeah. another movie. Barbara Crampton again, and it's just ridiculous. I mean, do I need to give a recap? I mean, everyone's seen it. <laughs> no, that's fine. You don't have to. But great movie. Great movie. Yeah. Uh, Tad, what about you? Um, I don't know. This this is, might be a little bit of a stretch. Uh, you guys can be the judge of that. But I, I was thinking of The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari going Ooh, way totally. back. Totally. Oh, yeah. yeah. Great one. I mean, if psychology is a science, yeah. Yeah. I always <laughs> thought uh, if. <laughs> when I first saw that movie, it sort of uh, blew my mind just because it was like, it's so influential on so many different filmmakers, and uh, for being filmed in 1920, it's just it's still it's still very dark and creepy to me. Uh, I like to mm -hmm. bust it out every year around Halloween. Did you ever see the? I think it was either late 80s or early 90s remake. I did not. Uh, I've seen bits and pieces, and I don't really remember it too well. But I remember being just really weird. I've it's one that I remember walking past in the video store a million times and thinking what the fuck is that and passing it over and then Projection Booth did an episode on it and it sounds amazing so I kind of want to see it now. Well, Projection Booth has the ability to make any movie sound amazing. That's true. <clears throat> uh, Matt, what about you? Well, I'll I'll do a couple quick shout outs to some you know some ones that need no, need uh, 
not to have a lot of extra said, um, I would just say uh, I think Bride of the Monster is my favorite uh, Ed Wood movie, <laughs> and I, I love oh, I love Bella in that movie. So yeah, and we every year I they they um, they do B Fest in Chicago, and I hope they'll some, someday they'll they'll have the courage to show other Ed Wood movies than Plan Nine, uh, oh. and this one I want to see first. Totally. Um, and I also and I also I I, uh, I ended up watching Young Frankenstein a, a couple nights ago. Nice. Which, uh, oh, which I love, and I and ab- I, I I absolutely spit on myself during the scene with Gene Hackman and and uh, Peter Boyle. <laughs> yes, <Right. laughs> but the movie I so but the one movie I wasn't sure if folks had seen. Has anyone seen Swamp of the Ravens? Yes. No. No. Never yeah. even heard of it. Yeah, it's an Ecuadorian uh, movie. And it covers just a lot of the a lot of the same ground as the other movies we talked about today. So it's this this doctor um, who a doctor Frosta who uh, is just like in like Mad Monsters, frustrated with bureaucrats who won't let him test on human subjects, um, and uh, because he's got a way to bring them back. Um, and he so he operates on bodies and vans and in this old creepy gothic mansion out out of the swamp. So it's got a little bit of Bride of the Monster, a little bit of uh, what's the uh, uh, Zat? It's got a little bit of that in there as well. <laughs> um, but why this one stuck out? To me, so why this one stuck out to me is he doesn't seem to be doing it. I mean, he's reanimating bodies, but he just kind of drops them off in this swamp and doesn't really seem to care a whole lot. Um, he just, just, it's very, it's very postmodern in the sense that he's just kind of doing it to do it. Um, and eventually he, uh, he gets caught at the end, uh, and cause he's like preying on lepers to try to, you know, to, he's, I'm going to cure you, but I'm actually just going to experiment on you and all that. And then in the end he just quotes Ed, Edgar Allan Poe. So why am I doing this? Nevermore. <laughs> so yes. Yeah. So, so it's. So it's struck. Yeah, it's got kind of a kind of a melancholy to it. Like he's again. So he's got this swamp of reanimated bodies, but it's not like he's. It doesn't seem like he's building a fortress. Uh, he's not trying to create an undead army. He's not trying to, you know, unlock the secret of life because he has a messiah complex. He's just kind of doing it. Available through uh, on DVD through something weird video or via Rift Tracks VOD. Oh, sweet. Okay. Awesome. Nice. Uh, Tim, what about you? Uh, I've got one quick shout out and one that I want to bore everybody with. So <laughs> the quick shout out Brian knows which the second one is. Uh the quick shout out is to the Flesh Eaters, another early sixties gore film. Uh it's about a mad Nazi scientist who comes up with flesh destroying bacteria. Uh, the comic relief beatnik drinks a, a flask full of that crap and gets uh, his entire stomach eaten through. They do kind of a super primitive animation effect to show a hole all the way through him at one point, um, which is way rad. Uh, the the actor playing the not the mad scientist fled Nazi Germany and then wound up playing like German mad scientists for the rest of his career. <laughs> which is ir- ironic or wonderful or both. I'm not sure. Uh, and at the end, there's like a kaiju-sized microbe that the, the heroes have to figure out how to kill using only the stuff they have left over from a uh, plane crash. So cool. it's it's bonkers and wonderful. <laughs> that That's one that has been on my radar forever, and I've never gotten a hold of it to watch it. But Oh, well, I'll, I'll give you my copy next B-Fest. Cool, cool. So the one I really wanted to talk about, uh, which is, is awesome, <laughs> uh, 
On three, Brian. One, two, three. Colossus. Colossus. The Forbin Project. Okay. Yeah, this he's in the the uh, Seth Brundle mode. Uh, Charles Forbin is the world's most brilliant computer programmer, and he comes up with a way to prevent accidental launch of nuclear weapons. He he comes up with this AI called Colossus that's going to take human emotion out of the equation and prevent accidental war. Uh. Problem A is that the computer realizes that the sa- the easiest way to bring about world peace is to threaten the globe with atomic destruction if they don't start obeying. And problem B is the Soviet system guardian that goes online about an hour and a half after Colossus uh, and teams up with it because they both realize that their mission is to prevent war, so they need to work together, not separately. So it's it's a, mo- a lot of people talking in a control center. <laughs> Basically, <Yeah. laughs> they turn on the computer at the start, mankind loses, and the rest of the movie is the two weeks in which the smartest people on the planet find out how fucked everybody is. <laughs> While two computers talk to each other. Yes, they come up with their own language that no human can understand, and they're capable of communicating in it fast enough that like no amount of printouts will ever let people catch up. Wow. I mean, they're literally, literally, they think a million times faster than us. So every plan to try and stop them has been detected within seconds of anybody coming up with it. They, uh, they also make Forbin, there's a Soviet scientist that they have killed, and then Forbin is told that he's going to be under 24-7 audiovisual surveillance to be sure that the, the one smart guy that might be able to defeat the, uh, the computers will never get a chance to do that. If you guys remember from the Bugs episode when I was talking about Phase 4 and how it's one of my favorite, probably my yeah. favorite science fiction movies, and how it's 90 minutes of people doing math at ants, yeah. which doesn't sound <laughs> exciting, but it's awesome. It is. Colossus is actually probably tied with that for my favorite sci-fi movie. It is fucking awesome. Sweet. And it's a rare science fiction movie with actual science in it. Uh, among other things, huh. once Colossus takes over the world... Uh, it starts telling Forbin, like, okay, I've generated your schedule for tomorrow. And it's like, you wake up at 6, you do your exercise, <coughs> here's what you're having for breakfast, then you start working on ways to make the computer better. And uh, the punishment for disobeying is that a nuke gets launched at a city. <laughs> oh my, oh my. It's based on a book by a, uh, an author that my friend Sean and I referred to as The Death Hack. Because he is not a very good writer, but he he is willing to go frickin' berserk with stuff. He wrote one called Implosion, where a sterilization drug gets used as a WMD in the Cold War. And basically, by the time somebody's hit with it, like by the time a country's been hit with it, all the men are sterile. Mm. You know, congratulations, <laughs> no more kids. Uh there's something like 2% of the women that can that can bear children after that. So Britain reorganizes itself to become a fascist state that nationalizes birth as a way to to uh, try and keep in existence. And then the last joke of it is that the women who are immune to the, the sterilization drug uh, also can only have girls. Interesting. So 
you get one more spasm of maybe we're not all dead and then everybody dies. <laughs> D.F. Jones. Ask for him by name. <laughs> nice. A couple more I want to throw out there. Um, you know, if I brought up Young Frankenstein, I want to bring up probably one of my favorite mad scientist comedies, and that's uh, The Man with Two Brains, Steve Ooh. Martin. <laughs> yeah. And David Warner. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then a very little known movie. I did it on Insane's Picks a while back called Venus Flytrap, also known as Revenge of Dr. <laughs> X. Or the Double Garden. Or the Double Garden. Yeah, yeah, it had a few different titles. But a uh, script by Ed Wood, produced by a Japanese production company. Mad Scientist turns um, carnivorous plants into a humanoid man eating monster. The movie's awesome. Love As it. you do, yes. And the yeah, last, I, I love the uh, the guy has like a rage coronary stress breakdown, so they send him to live on an active volcano in Japan and putter <laughs> around in a greenhouse. You know, there's no stress here; it's just an active volcano. Yeah. And then the last one I'll bring up another very little known movie from 1987 called Soul Tangler. Soul Tangler uh, by by a buddy of ours named Pat Bishow out of New York. Uh, mad scientist invents like this drug that can free the soul of the of the user and allow them to possess you know bodies of corpses. Uh, and there's horrible side effects with strange hallucinations and and drives people mad. Um, the whole final third act of the movie is just a fun you know gore fest with body parts and limbs on gurneys and stuff and you know and it's not like top quality effects but it's got a charm to it that I I, I really enjoy so. Jason, did you have any others you wanted to? That's throw all out I had. Them? Okay. Anybody else have any others they wanted to throw out? Uh, yes, but I don't know if you're doing it for insane's picks or not. So I'm afraid I'm going to steal your thunder, and I don't want to say it. <laughs> oh, you'll be fine because I still have I still have to you know one more I had to do from the violent shit box set. So. Oh, fine. okay. Well, in that case, I want to give a shout out to Doctor Lorca from Blood Island. <laughs> yeah, the uh, Eddie Romero trilogy. Although Doctor Lorca is not actually in the first one, Brides of Blood, but uh, Beast of Blood and Mad Doctor of Blood Island are fucking awesome. Yeah, that are. trilogy is one of my favorite chunk of exploitation from any era. They're colorful, they're gaudy, they're disgusting. They've got <laughs> nudity, they've got gore, they've got a cool plant human werewolf monster that runs on chlorophyll. They've got mad scientists, they've got midgets, they've got everything you could want in an exploitation movie. They're great. Check out the <laughs> Blood Island movies. And after you do that, way, way after you do that, Gnaw, Food of the Gods Part 2, has a bunch of giant rats in it <laughs> from steroid plants. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anybody else have any others? Uh, Island of Terror, but it's really a lab accident that creates monsters. Nobody's trying to make them. Okay, okay. Uh, Peter Cushing versus hard-shelled sort of brain coral slithering creatures that have a displacer beast tentacle and they dissolve and drink your bones. Ooh. Sounds delicious. And uh, Mant, the uh, Lawrence Woolsey production <laughs> about a <laughs> a man who is half man, half ant. Mant. 
awesome. uh, written by guys who look suspiciously like John Sayles and Dick Miller. <laughs> <laughs> Weird. Odd, that. <laughs> okay, then. Well, let's, uh, let's take a break. When we'll come back and we'll do some segments here on the show. And, uh, yeah, we'll be right back. Good evening. It's intermission time. Our service is friendly and quick. You'll find hot dogs, hamburgers, pizza, your favorite candies, hot and cold beverages, and other delicious snacks. So add to your fun of watching the movie. Visit our refreshment stand right now. We're glad to have you with us tonight. We hope you'll come to see us often. It's great to get out to the movies. Badasses, Boobs, and Body Counts is a weekly podcast that discusses grindhouse and exploitation cinema. Your three hosts, Mike. It's a quick... <laughs> Thank you. Come again. Not racist at all. Mark. If you bend over and you have what is essentially a pubic cottontail coming out of the crack of your ass, you need to do some goddamn grooming. And listener favorite, Iris. I do not have sex with that horse. <laughs> <laughs> will make you question your own political correctness while laughing at theirs. Episodes drop every Sunday and can be found by searching BB and BC Podcasts via Lipson, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, and iHeartRadio. You can also listen to episodes directly from the show's website at badassesboobsandbodycounts.com. Hey everybody, this is Wayne. This is Zip. Lori. Brian. Doug. And we're the Necronomicast, a weekly horror podcast brought to you by us, horror fans for you, horror fans. We talk about movies, books, celebrity interviews, your mom. (laughs) I don't know what you want me to say. (laughs) Necronomicast. We also talk about streaming movies, new movies, as well as news in horror. And that's just a sample of what you'll get on the Necronomicast. <laughs> Do we say horror movies? <laughs> visit us at Necronomicast.com. Also visit us on Facebook. And on iTunes and all that. Necronomicast. Uh, we'll scare the shit out of you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> visit us at Necronomicast.com for more madness and horror and blood. We're good. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> and welcome back. It's segments time here on Attack of the Killer Podcast. We're going to start off with some shout outs. It's time for shout outs. All right, we just asked what your favorite movies of Mad Scientists are. Got a bunch here on Facebook. Up first, we got Jeremy Seals. He says, Reanimator, of course. Bill Smiley says, Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein. Hi, Bill. Bill, what's up? Everybody knows Bill. I want to know Bill. (laughs) Come to be You get the No Bill prize. (laughs) Aw. Um, we we have uh, Jill Six Gavargazion. She says the human centipede. That was a good one. Didn't come up. Y'all like those? I've never actually seen them. 
I, life's too short. Currently, yep. life is too short. So. I thought the first one was really disappointing because it was one of those things that was touted as, oh, this is the most disgusting, yep. horrible, whatever. And then, of course, it fucking isn't. But the sequels are hilariously dumb and gross and ridiculous. So, yeah. I agree. I thought the first one was, it was okay, but it was more on paper. You know, like yeah, right, it, it was yeah. the grossest. It is the grossest thing ever. Uh, but the movie is yeah, not you, so much. Yeah, yeah, you can't, you can't, disp- you can't dispute that the premise itself is is <laughs> yeah. something else. But the sequels live up to the grossness of the premise, though. I just know I can't mention part three to around Mike, or he just he starts going off and he gets mad. <laughs> That's pretty funny. <laughs> up next, we got Bobby Foy. Says, I know her. Do you Who's know that? Her? Do we know? She says, The Fly, both of them. Mm-hmm. Part two is pretty good. I she think she's also talking to David Cronenberg. Oh. Yeah, original and remake. Probably. Sure, that. And we have uh, Derek John says, Reanimator, Swamp Thing, The Fly, 86. Said, I love the show and I hope I am back to being able to listen full time. I had a double bypass and. At 47, which sucked, but at least they have a small version of a Frankenstein scar, which is another great mad scientist movie. Keep up the great job, everybody. Yep, he's one of our Patreon pals. Glad he's doing better. Yeah. Up next, we got Jack Christensen. says, there's kind of a bad H.G. Lewis ripoff called Dr. Gore. That's a lot of fun. <laughs> Dr. Gore is awesome. Yeah. Never seen it. Will Vincent says, Return of the Killer Tomatoes! Yeah! Oh, yeah. Dr. Gangrene is my favorite. Played by John Astin. Oh, Return of the Killer Tomatoes. Attack of the Killer no. Tomatoes has always been like one of my all-time favorite movies. Not even kidding. Namesake of the show. And then the, and then the sequel, Return of the Killer Tomatoes, came out. Like I had to see it first thing. I didn't care. I fucking love it just as much as I love the original. The other two sequels kind of fall flat for me, but Return is so good. And then they did that cartoon series on Fox, which also had Dr. Gangrene in it, this time with green skin for some reason, but still voiced by John Astin, who is an actor that I love and admire. And, ah, love me some Killer Tomatoes. Yeah. I also love the, the product placement gags in that. (laughs) <laughs> There's one point where they're doing the commercial for the Honda Quad Runners. They're going to chase after the bad guy, and it takes so long that he just gets away completely. <laughs> <laughs> they ran out of money. You know, there's no more money in the budget, so they had to do product placements in order to finish the movie. Yeah, so it's like there's like a ten minute gag. So there's a, this whole moment where they they break the fourth wall, where they the director steps in during a convert, during a dialogue scene and just says, "Cut, cut, cut. We got to scrap the movie. We've run out of money." And then and then they talk about doing product placement to raise money for the movie, and then it turns into this like five ten minute advertisement for different products. Oh, and he also tells everybody nobody speak because if you have a speaking role, you get paid more. And everyone goes right. <laughs> <laughs> the movie's genius, man. It's so good. It's, it's you use the word genius too liberally. That's all I know. <laughs> Up next, we got Jacob McLaughlin says Reanimator. And the Universal and Hammer Frankenstein films, especially Son of Frankenstein and Frankenstein Must Be Destroyed. 
Peter Cushing gives his best performance as Frankenstein in Must Be Destroyed, such a tour de force. And he quotes, Pack, we're leaving. Cushing is a scary motherfucker in that movie. Yeah. 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 Up next, we got Candace Alexandra Mayer. Mary? Mary? She says, Reanimator. Sean Frost says, I just saw She-Demons, and I have to say there ain't no mad scientist like a mad Nazi scientist. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Uh, She-Demons was super bonkers. Uh, That that was the eighth movie out of nine that they showed at Monsterama. And maybe I was hallucinating a little at 2.30 in the morning. Maybe I wasn't, but it was like a semi-self-aware parody of those men's adventure stories where, you know, some bare-chested guy is punching out a Nazi or being menaced by weasels or whatever. And it just, you know, so there's the volcanic island, because it's always a volcanic island in these things. So there's there's a pocket little group of Nazis building up super weapons and coming up with a perpetual motion machine that's powered by the lava from the Earth's mantle, but also his wife was horribly burned by lava, so he's, he's figured out a way to temporarily turn the island natives into she-demons in order to temporarily restore his wife's looks. It's basically like, what if Eyes Without, uh, Eyes Without a Face decided that it needed to be a two-fisted action movie <laughs> with Nazis? <laughs> oh, and, you know, there's, there's a rowboat on the other end of the island. You just go there at the end where they wrap things up. I think every movie pitch <laughs> would be amazing if you ended it with, and with Nazis. No. Up next, we had Sarah Honeycutt says... The one about the giant tarantula, I think Edward G. Carroll was in it. I remember his eyebrows fell off, and as a kid, that freaked me out more than the tarantula. <laughs> what movie is that? Uh, I believe it's the one where there's a tarantula that <laughs> grows giant, okay. and people run away from the tarantula, but I can't remember the title. Or versus the spider? Might have been. <laughs> I think that was a tarantula, though. Was it just Tarantula? Wasn't there a movie that was just called Tarantula? Yes. Yes, yeah. there was. And it featured Clint Eastwood in his first role as a fighter pilot with a gas ma- oxygen mask on so you couldn't see his face. <laughs> no, but you could totally tell it's him just from the eye sockets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Paving the way for the eye socket performance in Dunkirk. <laughs> <laughs> we got Brett White saying, Lorenzo's Oil. Fucking Why do you, you let him be your friend? That's all I know. <laughs> At least it wasn't Debbie Does Dallas. That's always his answer. It is. Emily Krause says, Beyond Reanimator. Oh, nice. Then Somebody last... else who likes that movie. Yeah. Good. And then lastly on Facebook, uh, Brandon Robinson. Hopefully this is a tattoo on him, but it's a picture. Yes, it is. I've is seen it? it. It's amazing. Of Reanimator. Pretty badass. That is badass. He also has a great uh, John Carpenter's The Thing tattoo. Ooh. And like a sleeve of thing. Ghostbusters. Nice. He gives wow. me tattoo envy. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all we have on Facebook. There's nothing on Twitter, but guess what? We got a voicemail. Let's listen. Hello, attackers. This is Jack from Waterloo, Iowa. And my favorite... Mad Scientist movie is by far Reanimator. I love it, love it, love it. 
I had my own VHS dub of it as a teenager that I made my own cool clamshell box for. The whole series is great, but I definitely wish they would have brought Stuart Gordon back for the sequels because Brian Usna, the producer, took it over, and those movies just got a lot more goofy, which is fine. The first one had humor in it, but none of the other ones, I think, strike that balance of of horror and comedy like, like that first one did, and if they ever do another one, I hope they'll try to get Stuart Gordon back. Anyway, Reanimator series. Love it. Bye-bye. Hey, thanks. Thanks for calling in. That's well, awesome. All right, then. Yeah, and anyone can call in. You just got to call 415-952-6857 or 415-95-AOTKP. Leave your comments. We'll read them on the show. That's shout-outs. Can't. Where the fuck did I... Oh, Tim, you've got the notes for Mike's intro, right? Um, no, I thought you had the notes. Tim, come on. Don't play games. What do you mean? You know, games. Ladies and gentlemen, the Gila sketch, and now it's time for Insane's Picks! <laughs> <laughs> Well, I've I've done it. I've finally finished the Violent Shit collection on DVD. Hallelujah. After years and years of watching so many bad movies, <laughs> some so bad that they only would have been improved by leaving the lens cap on. Movies so awful that it's questionable that they were actually made by human beings. But then there's... Zombie 90, Extreme Pestilence. I'm telling you guys, it's a movie that's so bad that I think it may have broke me. Whoa. Now, I've said it before, this isn't the first time I've seen this one. Zombie 90, Extreme Pestilence, was a bonus feature on the DVD for Zombie Doom. Zombie Doom being the alternate title for Violent Shit Part 3. Zombie Doom was released by independent on the Independent Cinema label, a distributor not known for its high-quality releases, mostly softcore, uh, softcore porn. Zombie Doom and Zombie 90 being German films, someone had to do an English dub job. Now, based on the horrible quality of the dubs, Horrible sound and dialogue that sounded like it was made up on the spot by some shitty junior high improv troupe. I just always assumed in, um, independent inter, uh, independent entertainment. Um, oh shit! Line. <laughs> My computer shut down. Oh dang! Okay. Hold on. <laughs> See, that's what I was talking about earlier. When the computers just fuck up and you don't mean for it to happen. Don't play games. So, what do you mean? You know games. So I assumed Independent Cinema did the dub job with only two people doing all the voices within their living room. So when I got to 
got the set I was looking really forward to seeing much better dub jobs on Violent Shit 3 and Zombie 90 Extreme Pestilence. And as I said during my Violent Shit 3 review, the dub for that was much, much better. Uh, however, for Zombie 90, it is the exact same dub. Aww. The worst English dub job ever. Whoever did it had no idea what they were actually saying in the movie and just made up shit as they went along. At least for the movie's sake, I'm hoping that's true and those lines that they say in the dub weren't actually in the script. Now, Zombie 90 Extreme Pestilence was made during the time uh, he made Violent Shits Part 1 and 2. Uh, and he made Zombie 90 Extreme Pestilence for around $2,000. Story goes using the term story loosely, there was a military plane carrying an experimental chemical that crashes, causing a zombie outbreak. And it's up to two doctors, one with a porn mustache and a squeaky voice, and the other a tall man with a bad southern accent, to save the day. In this film, uh, the zombies use axes, chainsaws, machetes... And much like the violent shit movies, the whole film is just one gore scene after another. Heads are chopped off, guts are ripped out, boobs are cut off, and an unborn baby is ripped out of his mother's, stu out of his mother's stomach and torn to pieces. Now don't worry, it's very obviously just a store-bought baby doll that they didn't even bother to try to make it look anything like a real baby. So Dr. Wimpy Mustache at one point gets bit and... And it's up to Dr. Texas Badass to put him down. But that's okay, because he got blood on Dr. Texas Badass's car, so he had to go anyway. The whole third act of the film um, is just this remaining doctor kind of going through, killing zombies, and he's off to try to uh, find a cure. He ends up tripping and falling and getting knocked unconscious. And at that point, there's a dream sequence where the doctor is trapped in this dilapidated house and is attacked by zombies, and he, you know, kills off the zombies one by one. Now, why this is a dream sequence and just not part of the story is beyond me, especially considering that it's literally the longest scene of the fucking movie. So after the dream sequence, the doctor wakes back up with a zombie standing over top of him, and the zombie attacks him and eats and kills the doctor. So what was the damn point of all of, of all of that anyway if he's just going to get killed? So, sorry for the spoilers on the ending of the movie, but I'm not recommending anybody see this anyway. The movie ends with a voiceover quote that says, When the sun goes down and the dead walk, there will be no tomorrow. So that's it for the Violent Shit Collection. I'm going to put this thing away. Um, for a long, long time, uh, and I would never hope to watch Zombie 90 Extreme Pestilence ever, ever again. Ever. But that's it for Insane's Picks. Oh, you did it! You did it. Finally! Ah! Ah! So that wraps up this episode of Attack of the Killer Podcast. Um, I want to thank everybody for being on. Let's uh, let's get some sh sh shameless plugs going on here. Um, 
Uh, let's see, Tim, why don't you tell, I didn't give you a chance to t uh, pitch anything at the beginning of the show. Tell the people out there who you are, what you're from, and what you've been doing. I'm Tim Lenner. I've been a fan of cultural garbage since I was five. I have a, a no longer functional B-movie blog called Checkpoint Telstar. But the current project is the Fiasco Brothers Watch a Movie, a an hour-long uh, deep dive into individual cult movies with my friend Sean, my brother from a other distracted mother. And... Uh, <laughs> It's available on iTunes and SoundCloud, and if you feel like throwing us a dollar, there's many episodes uh, where we just sort of, I don't know, admire the heck out of something that has already had plenty of critical attention paid to it. So uh, the first one was on Flash Gordon, and it's really just half an hour of us talking about how boss Flash Gordon is. That's on Patreon for a buck, and the rest of them are completely free. Awesome. Cool, cool, cool. Have any of you guys listened to them? Yes, and it's great, and you should all listen to it. Thank you, Brian. Your check's in the mail. I have not, unfortunately, but I plan on it, so, so don't you worry. Yeah, it's not all, like, horror, but there's uh, there's a lot of horror stuff we cover. There's a lot of science fiction we cover. And then uh, a musical biopic about a record producer, because you got to throw a change-up in there every once in a while. Cool. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. All right. Thank you. Uh, Matt, what about you? Do you have anything you want to uh, share with the listening audience about yourself? Oh, well, I guess I could just introduce myself. Uh, first off, I'm, I didn't know Tim was on the show this week. I'm real, that was exciting for me. Uh, how's it going, Tim? Um, oh, doing quite well. How about yourself? Pretty good. Uh, yeah, so, uh, a little, so for those of you who don't know me, uh, name's Matt Foy. I, uh, I, my, my primary vocation is, uh, is a teacher. I teach communication at Upper Iowa University. Um, I, so I write about uh, I, I write a little bit about horror, and then I got away from that, uh, and now I'm getting back to it. So, um, welcome back. Yeah, welcome yeah, back. Good, good, it's good <laughs> to be back. So yeah. So my most recent project um, that I'm tr that uh, that is making the rounds here is I wrote an article about the Green Inferno, um, which is uh, I wrote about how it's kind of making this monstrous uh, activist kind of make this the, kind of like a, has this really really uh you know crude comment on social justice warriors so that's the kind of stuff i look for when i'm when i'm uh, when i'm watching a movie like that otherwise i would not watch that one cool cool excellent uh tad anything you want to share um well i'm sort of working on something right now that might interest people listening in the iowa area um sounds like we at the Burlington Capitol Theater in Southeast Iowa, which I am the head of film programming, sounds like the Victor Crowley Roadshow will be rolling through Burlington in late October. Sweet. So, so uh, if you're looking for somewhere in the Midwest to watch it, come down to our theater. Like I said, hopefully the the tentative date right now is October 26th, which is a Thursday night. Um, so. I'm sure I will. I will let everybody know when we have everything locked in. But that's when it's looking like it's going to be coming through. So awesome! That's man. very awesome. Neat. Yeah. Cool. Okay. What about any of your other guys? You got anything you want to want to talk about? Want to plug? Brian wrote a book. Yep. Yeah, we already talked about that. <laughs> Halloween Palooza. Yeah. 
right. We got Halloween and Palooza coming up here in Iowa, in Ottumwa, Iowa, on October 14th. All day event, uh, starting at uh, doors open at 10:30 to 11, and um, <laughs> and goes till probably about two in the morning. So it's going to be vendors. Um, we got a, we got some cool guest celebrities this year. Uh, you know, international film festival. Uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show at midnight, live band, zombie walk, cake decorating contest, you name it. And you can learn more by going to the website, Jason, which is Halloweenapalooza.com. Thank you. And Super also, fun trivia, which you will get arbitrarily robbed of all your points, even though you and your kids are smoking everyone else in the room. <laughs> <coughs> Sometimes Jason gets you. That's yeah, yep, yep. Yeah, yeah. And uh, also speaking of Halloweenapalooza and uh People interested, the fans of the show, we are going to be live at Halloween Palooza. Attack of the Killer Podcast is going to perform for you guys live at Halloween Palooza. So in person, that's right. You get to see us in person With and pants throw on for once. Wow, well, I'm not going to guarantee okay, that. That's not good. So yeah, so there's that, and um, also uh, in the world of prescribed films, our our short film, uh, Leftovers, is now on our YouTube channel, um, so you can check that out at YouTube uh, backslash Prescribed Films. And also, um, the newest episode of my side project podcast, Midnight Snacks, is now up, and you can so check that out. Episode 2 is about uh, William Cardell, Chili Billy, out of, uh, out of Pittsburgh from Chiller Theater, so... Um, be sure to check out that podcast. But and I think that's it. I think that's all the stuff we got going on. That's all. That's all. Well, thank you very much for having me on. Yeah, thanks for being on. Thanks all you guys for being on. This has been a great, great episode. I've had a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks again. No problem. And I want to thank everybody out there for listening. Truly from the heart that uh, we much appreciated everybody listening and supporting the show. It really means a lot knowing that uh, people out there actually pay attention to our nonsense. Um, So you guys all rock. So I just got to say, to finish this off, uh, come up to the lab and see what's on the slab. (laughs) I see you shiver with Antissa. Say it. Well, thanks, everybody, and uh, we'll talk to you on the next episode of Attack of the Killer Podcast. Oh, no, could this be the end of? Nailed it. Wow.